Hi, and welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. On BTS Podcast, I have conversations with people about the behind the scenes of what they do. I try to organize these into sort of different career tracks and industries. So if you find me on Breaker, which is, uh, they're not paying for this. I just am a huge fan of their app. But if you find me on the Breaker podcast listening app, you can see playlists that are strategy specific, music industry specific. I have one on customer experience, futurism and economics. But anyways, I'm a big fan of Breaker. You can definitely find me on there, see how this podcast is sort of organized. Um, this conversation will probably go into like a sort of creative role conversation and perhaps even like just conversations with women in male-dominated fields. Catherine is a director at a studio in Amsterdam called Chuck Studios. They specialize in tabletop content, which is the content that you see on food commercials. And what's fascinating about this sort of content is that it takes a intense amount of planning and dedication to technology and like just very finite details. Catherine is typically one of the only women on set. We talk about what it's like being a woman in a male-dominated creative field, especially when you're the one in charge. Also, I loved her request. Uh, you'll hear it at the end of the podcast. At the end of every episode, I ask what people would want to hear a future episode on, and she asked about hearing from a woman who was in the military in a position of command, which I am so excited to find someone, maybe multiple people in, because I think that that is a story we don't hear often. Anyways, I greatly enjoyed talking to Catherine in Amsterdam. She's great. Check out the work of Chuck Studios. They do some really beautiful work. I put a link to her portfolio in the description of this episode. And if you're still listening and haven't skipped past this, please consider supporting this podcast. You can use my promo codes for services that I love, or you can become a monthly contributor. Go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast, and you can contribute as little or as much as you would like every month. And it would be greatly appreciated as would the use of any of the services that I love. First off is Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight allows you to book really gorgeous hotel rooms at discounted rates around the world. I'm a huge fan and have saved a ton of money using them. And like any good loyalty program, the more you use them, the more money you save. They have an in-app concierge that I love and the hotel rooms are just really quality. It's also a really great way that hotels can book up rooms that have not yet been booked. So I've found that I save the most money if I book hotels two to three days in advance. Sometimes obviously you can save if you book way in advance, it really depends, but I usually book in the two to three day mark uh, because I'm a little bit of a commitment phobe. The other service that I really love that I think you will love as well, which I believe at this point is only available in the US, so I'm sorry, international listeners, but Soothe. Soothe brings massages into your home, which means masseuse shows up with their own table, sheets, body oils or lotions, Bluetooth speaker, etc., and brings the massage experience to you, which I love because then I don't need to go anywhere and I can just go straight to bed afterwards. And I'm a big fan of that. I love massages. I find that they help me decompress. I come up with a lot of ideas that hopefully are good ideas while I'm getting massages. And I'm just a big fan. You can use code LZLRZ to save on your first Soothe booking. I highly recommend it. Treat yourself. You can also treat you and your partner. There is the option for a couple's massage um, or just treat yourself and a friend. That could be a couple, just a couple of friends getting massages. It's good. Anyways, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and please do find BTS podcast across social media platforms. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Lene Cook. I don't know why I just start off that way. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> It's me. <laughs> uh, hey, this 
and you're listening to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. Uh, I am in Amsterdam today with Catherine Mil... Mil-, Mil- <laughs> we practiced before we started. We just went through this. Could you, could you do it one time? The little, Catherine Millet. Millet. Yeah, there you go. Nailed it. Third time around. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Potentially the fifth. So <laughs> Catherine is a director at Chuck Studios, which is a, would you call it a creative agency? I would call it more a creative tabletop company. They okay. started out doing like straight production. And then nowadays kind of the lines are a little bit more blurred now, you know, and then a lot of agencies are doing in-house production and production houses are offering creative. They have kind of started up doing that. So I think now the title they prefer is creative production company. Perfect. <laughs> well, Czech Studios is a creative production company, <laughs> and I believe they are also based out of Amsterdam. Is that correct? Yeah. So they have actually, they're now kind of a global company. They've just opened an office in uh, Moscow and one in oh, wow. LA very recently. And have you done work at either of those? Uh, yeah. So the, the Moscow team, um, I have shot with another director out of Moscow quite a lot. Um, so I, I kind of knew the team there. Mm-hmm. Um, but since they have been rebranded as Chuck, I have personally haven't been out there to shoot. And the LA announcement, I think, was only like three weeks ago, maybe a month ago at most. But with that producer, she was, um, her name is Elise Sarah. She was the owner of another production company called Canteen. Mm-hmm. And her and Chuck had worked closely together on a lot of stuff. So it kind of made sense, really. Very so cool. I know her pretty well. So it's kind of exciting times for everyone. That is exciting. That's yeah. great. And you've worked with a wide variety of brands. You've worked on a lot of McDonald's content. Yes. And several brands I was not familiar with. Yeah. And so I looked at them and I was like, well, I'm going to butcher these names oh, real bad. Don't worry. I still do. There's a lot of strange <laughs> ones. There is... Um, uh, in the Netherlands, like Honig is like a real, it's for them. I was trying to find the American equivalent, but I'm not sure. Do you have Maggie in America? No. no they have it in like. Is Middle it sort East. of like one of the brands that makes like a wide variety of products? Is that the one that was yeah. like the pasta and like the. Yeah, and they do that. The, so they do kind of like the packs of flavors and dry bases for soups and okay so like mccormick's maybe yeah it's like it's it's in everyone's house you know it's literally 90 percent of dutch houses have a honig thing somewhere in their house i'm sure if i rifled through here long enough i could find (laughs) one she looked around like she was on like a reality (laughs) like an escape i was waiting for someone to come out with a little honig basket (laughs) like here you go but Uh, why didn't they sponsor this yeah they're owned by Kraft Heinz, so if anyone's oh, listening, okay. Heinz, hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello. We need some baked beans up in the place. It's true. Every day of our lives. <laughs> so we met because the previous guest, Erin Wintercorn, was kind enough to introduce us. You are a director, which is, um, we talked for quite a bit yesterday on the phone, yeah. and I'm kind of sad we didn't record that conversation. Wow, we can redo it, word for word, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> I, I've been rehearsing all day. So prior to the director title that you now have, you were a producer, and I would love if just for context and like sort of laying a foundation for our conversation, mm. if you could describe the difference between a producer and a director at Chuck specifically. Yeah, so um, it's pretty much similar to most like production companies. So um, the producer is kind of uh, responsible for like the budgeting, communication with your agency and your client. 
and like booking all your like key crew members and stuff so you're basically kind of the glue that ties everything together as the director you're kind of responsible for translating the the brief that comes out for the agency and you are also kind of I find at Chuck a project manager in a way that you are the driving force behind a lot of it because it's within small teams everyone knows everyone also with our crew because it's such a a niche type of shooting is very specialized. Yeah, so it is very specific. The people that we work with are really, like, they're the, the best around at what they do. So you know them and you work with the same crew time in, time out. So rather, in, I think in a lot of other areas, you would basically communicate only with your producer who would then talk to everyone else. But here, it's uh, it's totally not out, out of the ordinary for me to just be calling crew members and having discussions with them straight up mm -hmm. so you're you need to be on like on top of things a little bit yeah well and tabletop is also I mean I haven't heard it called that in the U.S. and maybe it is called that and I just didn't mm -hmm. know it but it is such a very specific um, aesthetic and very technical and it's just a lot of at least in my opinion and experience like a mm -hmm. lot of technical yeah. uh, planning yeah <laughs> for a sure lot of planning and I, because I had never really done a, any normal type of production or shooting, like I basically stepped into it and stepped straight into the tabletop world. So it's only really when I can compare experiences with other people and they're like, uh, what are you talking about? That I'm like, oh, <laughs> actually, uh, there is quite a lot of technical knowledge involved. And I kind of just took that as base level. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's actually very satisfying. And the whole time because we operate within such a limited sphere a new piece of technology for us or a way that allows you to move the camera in a slightly different way that really can take your work to a whole other level whereas for other people they don't care so much if there's a piece of kit that can rotate your camera 360 like right. what does that add for them whereas yeah. for us that's like mind-blowing you know yeah so, because it can change everything like then all of a sudden you have the ability to do a like what is it, sort of when it's all done in one shot? Yeah. You can open that so those sort of options up. And yeah. there's just a lot of different... Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And so in what you do, though, because it is specific, one topic that we sort of bonded over a little bit yesterday mm. is also just how do you stay creatively inspired Yeah, when what you're shooting is very specific to tabletop and yeah. also food. And also to each brand, right? So right. like a lot of brands have certain ways which they can or cannot present their food. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not dealing with the game changers of brands, you know? Like we're not dealing with Nike who want to like do something totally different. We're dealing with um, quite often like they were still, some of them are still family owned mm -hmm. brands. And um, we have to find our wiggle room in that. And you can come to this, you can arrive at a project with the best will in the world and I'm sure this happens in every creative field but mm -hmm. for us it's um it's if I told someone they had to show show me 20 different ways of flipping a burger the same burger and each time have a different way and a different feel and a different technique they would be like by go number four you're kind of like I flipped it I twisted it I dropped it <laughs> Like, I I'm running out of ways to pop this burger. And, um, but event, but you know, you always get there in the end. And that's actually kind of the challenge is you're dealing with the same products, the same bases, fruits, vegetables, whatever. Mm -hmm. And each time you have to um, 
find out how you're going to tell a story using only those ingredients. And um, that's the that's the challenge, and that's what's satisfying about it when it works well. Right. Um, but then add on top of that, you have like a, an agency brief, and there's other people's ideas and whatever. And um, and a lot of people are happy with just basic food porn. You know, right. they they just want it to look tasty, and then they're kind of okay with it, mm-hmm. which. Um, I understand if maybe this tag on was this food tag on was only a small part of your entire campaign. Then for you, you're like, well, as long as it's tasty, then it's done like box ticked. But we spend day in, day out doing this stuff, you know, and we right. have all the briefs from all around the world. And um, the supermarkets are just so full of all these brands offering the same thing using the same language. Right. And the same, a lot of times, very similar visual treatments. Yeah, looks, feels, everything. Yeah. And so for us, we find sometimes that it's worth us pushing back a little bit on like agencies and clients and stuff and being like, you know, guys, tasty alone is not enough. That should be there. That should be your base level. Right. Yeah, obviously taste appeal. But Ideally, you wouldn't be selling it if it didn't taste good. Well, yeah, that is a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> but you... Um, if you, it's, it should be the same as any type of, of marketing that, and advertising. If you if you want people to remember it, then you need to have a story or an emotion or something in there that pulls people in. Mm-hmm. And that is like a hundred times harder when you're just dealing with like bananas. Like, yeah. How do you tell a story without going to like where the bananas come from and without like yeah? Well, it's well, all you might part. not want to know bananas. It, it, it's it's not a good part. origin story. <laughs> <laughs> no, and actually, surprisingly, most of the products aren't great for the origin stories. You're like, mm, let's not do that. Um, but the uh, sometimes you're also kind of uh, limited in that it has to be in the studio, so you can't right. do like a big overarching um, story. You only have a certain budget, and it's, that only allows you to shoot in the studio. Right. So you have to um, very much work around the edges, and that's the most satisfying thing when it works properly, and you have a, you make a commercial that really sticks in people's minds. So there's so many different ways of doing it, but um, I think if you like it, if you like that challenge, then you get passionate about it. But if yeah. it's not the one for you, then very quickly you're going to like drop out of tabletop. I that think. makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, to your point about the like, if you like it type thing, I think the cool thing about tabletop is that you are given very specific parameters. So yeah. I've definitely worked on projects before where it's sort of like, well, we just want to see what you think. And I'm like, well, that's not enough. Like yeah. I need some more <laughs> barriers here yeah. because that's like too broad, right? It's like if walking into a restaurant and then them going like, oh, tell me what you want me to make. And you're like, I don't even know. Yeah. I need you to tell me. Yeah, like friend. is breakfast available? Is it lunch? <laughs> like what time of day is it? I don't know. Like do you have spinach? Do what you chef not? is on duty? Right, like <laughs> I have so many questions. And so it, it is interesting to be able to go like, okay, it needs to be in a studio and it needs mm. to be tabletop specific. Now that we yeah. know that, how can we make it fun um, and make it interesting? Because mm. also I imagine not only do you want to deliver work for your clients that meets their goals, but also that like consumers are going to pay attention to because it's your work. And I think we all take it yeah. pride in our work. And that contributes to your reel and your ability to go like, here's what I've worked on. Yeah, You certainly don't want it to be 30 things that look alike because unfortunately in the world um, that we're in now of sort of like personal branding, mm. like 
people a lot of times, and I think this is historically also very true for women, is that we're often approached like, oh, show me what you can do. And if everything that you've, if you've only been given limited opportunity, yeah. it implies that that's all you can do. When the reality is you can do so much more. Yeah. But if the only jobs that you're given, no one lets you do things yeah. outside of those parameters, totally. it presents like a very tricky thing when even, and I don't even mean it in terms of like anyone from a creative company looking for other work, but even when that creative agency then goes to pitch work. Yeah. You yeah. can't prove that you can do something really unless someone's willing to take a leap of faith. Yeah, and very much like as a as a director, you can be kind of say flavor of the month. Like you do maybe two or three commercials that, that are picked up, and they happen to have like a sense of comic timing in them or something, mm -hmm. and then suddenly you become the guy that does the funny stuff. Mm -hmm. Or like, and I have a lot of McDonald's work for several different markets around the world, and I am already aware like, oh. Heads up, otherwise you're going to be the McDonald's girl very shortly. Right. And then you, there's no way of changing anyone's opinion other than doing free work. But then that also gets a little bit like, oh, well, it's just free work. It's like passion project kind of vibe. Right. Until it does well, which is hysterical to me. The yeah. way that people are like, oh, yeah, that's cute that you're doing this other like passion project. And then when it gets attention, then they're like, yeah. wow, but did you see her work in Vice? And yeah, you're yeah. like, okay, you mean the thing that like you were all, there, there was this, yeah. I often get very annoyed because I've had people, I think you get it, especially when you do anything that's creative, is that people mm. are perplexed how you could make a living at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. is hysterical to me because also this is coming from the mouths of people who like, pay for cable TV, pay to go to the movies, like yeah. buy things that are in commercials that like consume creative outputs all the time. And then yeah. are confused, like how you could be doing it. And you're like, yeah, I think one like, of those, is that a real job? Right. And I think with hysterical, <laughs> there was this, uh, Nat Geo, like event I went to that was with someone who he's an astronaut and has taken like a lot of photos in space. And so he was going mm. through sort of his photos and stuff. And he was talking about how, Somebody asked him, like, oh, that's so cool that you're an astronaut. Like, how could a normal person like me do that? And he was like, I'm also a normal person. <laughs> I still <laughs> have a family. Like, my kids and I still, I still have you. problems. And <laughs> right. And so I think what happens is that people put pe people put creatives a lot of times on this pedestal until mm. they know a creative. And then we yeah. often get very tr treated, like, very shittily, honestly, by the people around us. Mm. Because a lot of people are like, oh, that's fine. But like, what does that really mean? And like, yeah. what do you actually do? Kind of like when someone studies art or something in college. Yes. Like, oh, like she does Which art. you know, so because cute. also you went to school to be an orchestral. Yeah. Orchestral then, but at that conductor. point, I was like a kid, you know, I had no real concept of like what's going on around <laughs> me. And then I was, I was, then I was looking at what I was going to study when I went to like actual university and, um, and then it all starts to come out, you know, like all your friends' parents and stuff yeah. like asking you. And then you can see in their faces like, oh, you're going to go do that. And, and like, what you oh. don't realize at that age, though, what you don't realize at 17 is what you see in their faces is like all of their sadness around their own <laughs> failed dreams. <laughs> oh, my God. Savage. <laughs> like, I love it. Coming out with yeah. flaws yeah. <laughs> to judge you. <laughs> oh, you want to work, do you? <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, no, and so, um, but I have found at that stage already there was, 
And it's so easy to fall in, into it because if a lot of people around you have that attitude, then you're kind of like, oh, she was just another girl who did like history of art or something, you know? Right. And then you're like, oh, she's probably going to grow up to be a yummy mummy or whatever. And then you're there like, wait. I've never heard that phrase. Though. No, yummy mummy, have you not? No. Okay, I really hope to God it's not just a phrase that we use in my family. Otherwise, I've put everyone in it. <laughs> but it, the yummy mummy crew, it's like, you know, they're there with their... Uh, Range Rovers like picking yeah. up their kids at a certain like time. Like yuppie and, sort of yeah, moms. Yeah. yeah. Yummy mummy crew. That's and an amazing there were so And there were a lot of people accused of in accused of going to university only just because they felt they should or whatever. Yeah. But it was, it happens in America a lot. Yeah, but for some reason that was, that was applied to girls who did subjects like history of art and you're like why well why is because also if you're a girl who went to school for art history and the whole world like shits on you for doing that you're like well i guess the easy thing is that i can get married get married and become like, a yummy mommy and live the dream people treating me like trash for doing something i enjoy and like and i'm sure you've experienced this too because of the way that you've shifted gears several times it's like oh yeah you've also probably gotten a lot of like oh and why is it that you want to do this now and like yeah. why did did you do that yeah almost as if I was like asking too much you know and I was like well I've given up a lot also but I so I did music very heavily when I started when I was a child like credit where credit's due it was totally my parents at that stage obviously I was like four years old and didn't go like oh I want to be the world's best piano player like right. you know. Um, and they like put me down to it and they they really taught me like what hard work was you know if you're if you're doing it at that level that at that age then that's that was my foundation for everything basically for the whole rest of my life for like I if you really want to do something then you'll make it happen one way or another right so I did that for a long time and then um I suddenly realized that I was basically all hard work and not that much talent when it came to music. And there were a lot of other people around me at the Royal College of Music in London who were very, they were on like another level, you know, and you're just, you know, when you're quietly there winging it, like, I hope no one realizes that I'm actually not playing. Do you like, think a lot the of orchestra. them felt that way too? No, not at all. It, it is fiercely violent, that world. <laughs> like, I can't... Like you think it on the outside when you look at an orchestra, you think, "Oh, it's so nice! Like they're all so in sync and like working together." Oh, oh no, it there's like real tactics goes on like to be dance moms, but yeah, like yeah, like, to be like the first oboe versus the second oh, oboe. Yeah. Like you, I saw people like breaking people's reeds so that then the first oboe would have to step down for a bit, go and find something, wow. or the second one comes in. Musicians, they're just like the rest of us. Yeah, Brass. especially children musicians. <laughs> like because in each each one, every person there came from a, an area where they were a genius. So they were like a big fish in a small pond, and then suddenly they get put in a bigger pond, and all the fish start Did you see whiplash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, literally exactly that. Although without all the drama and really good cinematography, yeah, without without J.K. Simmons there, to like <laughs> God, what a hero. Yeah, not none of that. Although there were definitely some heroes at the Royal College of Music, and um, <laughs> but yeah, in the end, I was like, okay, yeah, this has done me very well, but there's no way in hell that I'm on the same level as these guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and you didn't even want to go into scoring or anything because and maybe that you could do that in your future with, with your directorial experience. Yeah, sure, why not? No, I'm not ruling anything out. But at that point, <laughs> I just wanted to be normal. You know, I just wanted to go to a normal school for a bit and like, uh, do normal education. You know, yeah. when you're a teenager, you're, you would die to be normal. Right. So, well, and maybe just for like normal 
I think we all also want what we've interpreted as like a normal high school sort of youth experience. Mm. And like my utter disappointment when I finally was able to go to clubs and realize that like they weren't <laughs> like when it said that like doors are at 10, that that really meant like no one was having fun until one o'clock in the morning. Like people yeah. weren't just like walking and ready to have fun. That yeah. people like stood around grouchily for three hours. Getting slowly drunk and then fun starts. Suddenly. Right. And yeah. so it totally like by 20, <laughs> by like 21, I'd already been going out for more than my parents should know. And <laughs> so. Sorry, Dad. It's America. It's uh, fine. And it was LA too. So, yeah. like, if you're an attractive girl who you just like doesn't yeah, have an ID, you'll be fine. You can get in places. It's fine. Yeah. You can get like someone to escort you in past the security. And so, by the time I turned 21, I was like, "Oh, I think I'm too old for this. This is really boring." Because I did yeah. the math, and I was like, "Oh, I've been going out three to five nights a week for ages." Hardcore, um, by the way. Love it. Three to five nights a week. I just really like dancing. Okay, great. Fine. And sure I like, and I'm like, um, I like observing social situations. So yeah. like the people watching. Fabulous. Yeah, and you like learn a lot. Mm. And so by that time, I did the math, and I was like, oh, of all those times, there's maybe like ten nights that really stand out as magical. Yeah. Not really like those odds are not in my favor. Like, yeah. what am I staying up late for? Yeah. Putting through all the stress trying to make sure I have different outfits on every time or whatever. Mm. For what? Like, when one out of every hundred nights is memorable? Like, yeah. no, I'll go out during Grammy season and call it a day. <laughs> Come on. Is that really a thing in L.A.? People go out during Grammy season? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just to see, like, famous people? Or no, no, just no, like, really hard? good parties happen. Oh, nice. Like, really good parties happen around award seasons. Okay. And then also everything, social circles just get a lot squishier, so you can oh, end nice. up at really wild parties. If you're with the right people and suddenly, like my friend, one time my friend was sick and so she let me go to a party saying that I was her mm. and it was this insane thing where we had to like wait, my, I took my friend Lauren with me and we like waited on this corner and a, like an unmarked shuttle showed up and picked us up and then drove us up to this like house up in the hills somewhere and like Dead Mouse was DJing in the house. You were like freaking out at some point on the bus. We were like, and oh, this is taking a turn. No, me. not at all. We were children. <laughs> You're like, take me. It's fine. I was don't like, well, if anyone's like, who's kidnapping people in a shuttle? Yeah, well, I don't know. The stranger <laughs> things have happened. They're, people are kidnapping you. They're like throwing you into a cargo van, not like coming up and asking if you're on Would the you list. Would you like some water? <laughs> right, exactly. My, my poor mom is probably like, oh, God, I'm so glad she's 30 now. I'm so glad her frontal lobe finished forming. But like, it was just this wild, insane party. And yeah. like... So that's worth it, but then any old like yeah. day of the week is not that worth it. Yeah, I think you go through that stage, you know, where you you love you love like the exploration kind of nature of it, and right. then it, it starts to be Groundhog Day. And that's exactly it. So mm. now, like, whenever I can tell a situation is going to be predictable, I just don't go. Yeah. Because for what? Like, but I don't some even. Some people live for it, right? Like, yeah. I still have a lot of friends that live for the weekend. Totally. Ugh. And I would never. I still yeah. didn't, like, I didn't even like to go I said the phrase in your face that she went like, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Because when people are like, oh, it's Friday. What are you doing? I'm like staying inside. Like nothing interesting <laughs> yes. happens on Friday night. Call Why me do people on, like, keep a asking here. me what I'm doing in the weekend? I don't <laughs> understand it. I'm like obviously sleeping. Because yeah. if I'm going to be tired, it's going to be on the work day, not my weekend. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It, this is something that I'm We like, really do. Yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. This is something that I'm really struggling with is, so I'm like, 
Oh, yeah, I got through the music bit and then we digressed. But I am very much someone who um, a lot of my like self-worth, I think, mm-hmm. comes from what I'm doing at that time. And mm, a, lot of, a lot of other people, I think, they base it on other things like their relationships and like and oh, going healthy. out and having a nice time. <laughs> yeah, and like being normal. And mine, how boring. mine is so like my whole life feels tied up in like what I'm doing. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm not like a spinster in a tower. Like, I I don't have a she cat. She has a dog. I have a dog, <laughs> and I do have a fiance. So it's like I've oh, got a book semi tape. It's fine. But I <laughs> stop laughing. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> I I still need to feel okay by having my self-worth based in my job and my work. And people still make me feel bad about it. They're oh, like, you're they so young. Yeah, I, Who's I know. these people? Who yeah, are these Yeah, you know, people? like the general they, the big they with <laughs> yeah, the capital T. It's probably like yeah. three people that have said that to you and you've internalized it where you're like, everybody oh, yeah. around me. <laughs> my whole life, this is all I've heard. It's like three offhanded comments from people you barely talk to. That they just yeah, don't know it. That they probably just can't relate. You know, when you no, think about no. it. But it's it's also, like, I am that annoying person that when I am ever anywhere, I will check my email. Like, it's already itching that I've been here for some time and I haven't checked my email. <laughs> well, now I won't let you. No, I know. <laughs> it's all switched off. It's all fine. But I feel... Um, And, like, sometimes I'm my own worst enemy, right? Like, I get annoyed that I'm always working. And then on the the flip side, I can't not. I'm there like, oh, I feel awkward about not doing it. That is something that I have also gone through. And... Uh, are you about to say there's a light at the end of the tunnel or are you going to say no I'm, you just have to accept it no because <laughs> well it's not that there's a light at the end of the tunnel it's that you'll hit the end of the tunnel and then have realize a, have you a need breakdown. to make a light yeah. <laughs> oh that's so nice so if you would like to prevent that I recommend so one thing that I and I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast is like sick of hearing me say this <laughs> but I even when I because I was at an agency for a little bit over two years and I keep my phone on do not disturb from 4 p.m. until noon the next day yeah nice and and you know I was doing social so a lot of times people would be like oh my god this tweet has to come down mm. at the end of the day it is a tweet like, we were not yeah. ever doing anything that was, like, um, saving people's lives minute by minute. Yeah, and nor anything that was pushing the envelope so much that it yeah. could have ever gone sideways completely. Like, there's yeah. nothing that was ever put up that could have, you know, been, like, a Hong Kong NBA fiasco. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. <laughs> TBT uh, to, to, like, last week. Um, but so because of that... I just felt like, okay, I'm at work regularly. The client for the last year or so that I was at the agency that I was on was in Taipei. So I had like many late nights in the office anyhow. Mm -hmm. And the way that I saw it was like, if there's an actual emergency, you should call 911, like not me. Yeah. And that goes not just for work, but also like my friends where it was like, hey, if I check my phone, I'm checking it. And I only, like right now, because I'm doing um, like consulting work and the podcast and then some other creative projects, the only people's emails who get push notifications are like paying clients yeah. and a few close friends yeah. and like that's it. Everything else stays sort of in the background. And I think that when you set that boundary, there's a few things. I think one, it like makes you give yourself permission to go like, hey, actually, this is not healthy that I'm doing this. I'm mm. going to like 
so I keep my phone usually in another room. Yeah. So that then it's also like a conscious thing like of going to it. a physical decision, yeah. Right, where I'm not just like reactionarily yeah. like picking it up and scrolling. Um, because I did have to go like, oh, you're not enjoying this about you. You're not mm. actually that important. Like, you're not doing brain surgery. You're no. not saving anyone's life. Like, you're yeah. putting more shit on the internet. Like, oh, I won't be able to finish a commercial about, like, pasta sauce. You know, it's not the right. end of the world. But... And it also, like, especially being, like, a director now where you have, like, another team, like, a whole team that you're working with. Mm. When you're not answering emails late, then it reduces the stress of other people where they don't feel like, oh, yeah. Catherine's doing it. I better be on alert, too, for these late-night emails. Yeah, totally. And so then it sort of balances out and gives other people, like, a buffer zone, mm. too, of, like, okay, we can deal with that in the morning. And I think it's also – it's something – it's like a double-edged sword, right? Because I, when I first started at Chuck, I was um, actually the uh, PA to one of the guys that owns it. His name's Olaf. And um, I started out there just as a PA. I was in, like, desperate need of a job. Mm -hmm. I had been working, like, three jobs at the same time, no sleep, no nothing, like, stressing, nowhere to live. Had, like, hurriedly, super rushed, moved in with a boyfriend because I didn't have anywhere to live. <laughs> like, extra pressure everywhere, That's you very, know? like, New York of you. Sure. <laughs> if only. And um, so then... Um, I, I happened to know the, the girl who was his peer before and she was moving to Portland. So I then just like rocked up for this interview and um, then luckily they liked me and they like gave me the job and that's something that Chuck is, they're, they're super good at that, at like spotting talent in people and taking them on and like mm -hmm. giving them room to grow. Um, but at the same time, like I, from that point on, was then just like switched on the whole time because my boss, he is like a nine till, actually there is no time, it's just 24, going right. always. And um, he is someone who can run with that. And there is no, um, there was no time where it was like, oh, I won't send that email. For him, if it's out of his door, then it's all good. And so it right. doesn't mean that you need to respond to it there and, and then. I, I'm like that. So I'm yeah. definitely, and I didn't realize that other people took it, it as a sense of urgency. It other people out so much. And yeah. so I, in fact, we were in like a small group about it. We had like an HR sort of small group at, at an agency I was at. And somebody brought up that like, oh, it really bothers them. And I was like, hey, like. I'm just letting you know that, like, when I'm sending that at 9.30, it's probably because I was dozing off. Yeah. And then went, like, oh, shoot, I forgot to say this, and I don't want to forget in the morning. Yeah. I it's don't just to get it anyone. out. It's just to get it out. Yeah. And so I started trying at least to remember that when I would remember something after work hours mm. to instead just – because Outlook has that function to, like, send later. Yeah. Where I would then just schedule it for, like, 8 a.m. the next day. Yeah. Or, like, look super efficient and do it for, like, 5 a.m. Like, yeah, sometimes I, I know. I don't don't let people know my secrets. But I would be like, I was working at 6 a.m. Like, really, I was doing? probably like stretching on my floor. Yeah. Just lying here with your corgi. I know. Hey. If only oh, no, I looked lying. at him. Oh, no. We've been avoiding looking at the dog so that he doesn't come over here and clack with his nails. So He, he has some good stuff to say. <laughs> no, but it's... it's so on the one side, it's like it is a little bit of a negative thing that I just... I. And very much like allowed that my work to fill the whole entirety of my life. But on the other hand, I wouldn't have been able to have learned as, as much as I did and have right. grown as much as I did if I hadn't have done that. Yeah. And that's 
also where at every different stage in my career or different uh, things that I've been doing that I've always always approached it like that and Mm -hmm. and I, I think I understand that you reach a certain point I think where then you have to draw the line and you have to say okay so I'm I'm now like soaked up the the majority of what I've experienced in the last mm-hmm. like five years yeah but, and now I'm going to approach this like someone who is not learning but someone who is doing right and I'm I feel which is also a typical like English female thing but I feel very much that I'm still in the learning stage uh, and that I should still be like... 100% on all the time <laughs> and actually I I was looking at my own work and I was kind of like well you know what it's not that bad you know it's no fine. it's no it's not I also I would if I would have seen your work and not liked it I would have been like oh maybe should I should have yeah. it on the podcast because I can't I can't you can't, you, no one has like a super strong reaction to tabletop work you know like you see it all the time all day every day and I think if someone makes something that makes you notice right. then that's already way better than all the other tabletop Definitely. work that you see and that they're like not all of your work looks the same too like it's yeah. not all the same treatments it's not all the same lighting yeah but and also I mean I don't even know what you've seen but I like I apologize for making you watch all the McDonald's commercials <laughs> like I but now know McDonald's nice. so well man like all the ins and outs of the restaurant and like everything is thought out so perfectly in a McDonald's it restaurant is, yeah they have done really incredible work in like the efficiency if you have an OCD I think it's actually the place to be really like everything is just so in a McDonald's kitchen Really? Yeah. Like, mad. Like, obviously, it's it's a nightmare for us because when we go there to shoot, like, you, you're like, okay, no one's going to notice if that sauce comes out of this box or that box. And then there's the operations guys like, no, but it's always done this way and it has to be shown this way. And there's, like, really a set of rules as to, uh, like, like, even really when you guidelines. give someone the tray, like, the placement of everything on the tray is all dictated by rules and everyone has to learn them and stick to them. That's amazing. Yeah. That is fascinating. It could be defined a cult, I reckon, if we looked into it enough. I was going to say communism, but that works too. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I actually was going for something softer, but then I don't know what's worse. (laughs) Is that softer? I don't know. I think we have to do like a... (laughs) And then also, where does the line on a cult get drawn? Yeah, I don't know. There were these really interesting... (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Pick an age. Um... (laughs) There were this, these essays I was reading. I think it's a, he's a sociologist uh, named like C.J. Adorno, I want to say, or Theodore. Ador- I can't remember his name. Last name is Adorno, though. And he was saying that zodiac signs are like the world's most socially acceptable cult. And oh, my I goodness. Like, oh I my like, oh, my God, it. that's amazing. Yeah, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And, and still every day I'm like, well, I'm a Taurus. What can I do about it? You're in a cult. It's, it's true. We all are. You probably have several more cults behind closed right. doors. It's all good. If you're... <laughs> God, I was going to make a CrossFit joke. Never mind. Um, <laughs> no, your audios go. I am not a CrossFit lady. Well, yeah, certainly I don't think many listeners are either. <laughs> okay, so when it comes, to, because what you're doing is so specific yeah. to tabletop, mm-hmm. how do you stay sort of like creatively stimulated and fresh? Well, I actually find for the most time um, that the, it's that, age-old answer of really the solution is always in the problem for us Mm. we're like we are given um very like strict parameters and we also are given like the marketing like goals of the campaign which Mm -hmm. is 
for us, it's actually very much more useful when we're given that information, like who are you trying to speak to? Yeah. And what's the main takeaway? Because sometimes we get given a list of four or five takeaways and you're like, okay, yeah, fine, I guess. <laughs> but I just want your top one. And if we get a few others in there, then that's a bonus. But right. let's focus on one message. If there's a halo effect, that's nice. But sure. Yeah. But let, let, give me the central one and we'll work on that. And because of that, um, because it's always such a battle to navigate those kind of waters that that normally dictates where you end up with your answer mm-hmm. and we'll find that obviously that doesn't mean that's the only way of doing it but but it really it's um sometimes a creative process is very much sitting and surrounding yourself by all sorts of other like inspirations and stuff and other times it's uh it's it's a real you need to break down the the problem that that people are bringing you or your client is bringing you and then you'll you'll find in there the solution and it should for us it, it normally feels like very natural and um and it we all know each other in this world in this tabletop world right so yeah. that we are all looking at everyone else's work and it's kind of there's there's a limited number of like big dogs that do this and everyone Mm -hmm. follows everyone else and whatever and we're all in contact with each other and what I find funny is that there is of course a certain amount of I'm not going to call it stealing I'm going to call it quoting that goes Mm. on with ideas and but that is to be expected right like like I said there is only a certain number of ways you can drop a patty burger thing and and film it and so by nature of the fact that I could have not seen someone's work, but we both have the same tools to work with. And in the end, you might end up with a similar show. And you're both like in sort of this world where we're like all very both connected and disconnected. Mm. You're probably both being exposed to a lot of the same imagery. For sure. That the chemical reaction of yeah. the tools that you have, plus the imagery that you're exposed to, will most yeah. likely like produce very similar ideas because it's also a specific type of brain yeah. who's doing this type yeah, of work. It's a specific type of weirdo that's into this work for sure. <laughs> and there are real food trends in the same way there's fashion right. and etc. You get the same thing in food depictions. So uh, say for the last 10 years, it's been very much like regressive cues. You know, you've seen those chalkboards everywhere and the nice like leather apron mm-hmm. and the like butcher guy. And it's all about hand, handcrafted Artisanal sort of, ingredients. Yeah. So that's what we've everyone's been doing for the last like ten years, and then now and in the say in the eighties it was very different where it was very much like leadership values and like iconic and like kind of in your face and and uh, like very uh, like heroic visuals for food, um, and it weirdly enough was combined with quite a lot of copy, but that to one side. Now we're stepping into like a whole new age of food depiction. But everyone will follow the same trends. Yeah. So you also, you even if you don't want to, you will have a client who comes to you and says, I want it to look like that. Right. And then you're like, okay, fine. Like, I received the same... The, I received the same films as reference films in my briefings every day. Yeah. And literally I'm like, they and they say, oh, we want it to be different, but uh, and this is a really good reference for how we want it to look different. And I'm like, okay, I've already received this four times this month already yeah. as a briefing. So I'm going to tell you if you want to do something different, don't do this. Right. And then yeah. Yeah, it's their choice if they want to listen or not. But. My friend Jack, he um, he's in, he's like a, I think he's a, strategic creative director I don't know what his title is now but anyways he he's also in the agency world and he had a tweet a while ago that like resonated so much with me where it was like 
client, like do something different agency. Here's the different thing we want to do. And the client's just like, that's too different. Or like something like that, where it's like, they're like, whoa, that's actually what we really want is this original thing that we presented. And I think what, what becomes tricky in that as well is there is this like very interesting relationship in advertising of where you are both driving culture and being driven by it mm, so it's totally. really like whoever is willing to take that first plunge yeah it's then... whoever is willing to take the risk you know and right and i can understand that you it's it's alarming to step away from this like this carefully curated like brand image that you feel that you've spent tons of money and time and making. that's all i've improved as a trend like something yeah. that you can go because this they clients in this world are in a very corporate environment where they before even bringing you that brief have already showed it to their team and gotten by buy in and they can go oh here's the numbers from this trend forecasting site to prove that like these Mm. colors and this more high contrast imagery is a trend right now we want to like lean into that because the the client that is like hey actually this is the trend but we think that this is where it's going next year yeah that client probably then is coming to you with a fully baked idea and not even of something different. Like that's a totally different thing. So what to you in a brief makes like, what makes like a really excellent media creative brief that you can work well with? That lands on a director's desk. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. Okay. So first up, if I read the word bold in a brief (laughs) one more time from someone who doesn't mean it. (laughs) No. Okay. You have a very good laugh by the way. To everyone who sent me a brief with the word bold in it, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. She likes you as a person. Just, it's a four-letter word. What um, can you do? So, um, okay, I don't, I'm, I'm so excited to start this question. Let me just formulate it. One, an animatic, no animatics. So what they it, do what this do thing, an agency will do this thing for testing purposes, I think, most of the time which is already puts your back up because you're like, it's been tested before it's even got to someone who is doing, who does screenwriting anyway. Oh, anyway, right. Animatic. So they will do a rough script and and a kind of a storyboard and they'll have someone animate it, mm. which means creative decisions have already been started to be making about the framing, the lighting, like how you cut and stuff. So mm-hmm. someone's basically already made that. They just basically, they, they want a foot soldier to shoot it, but they're paying them a ton of cash they will go to the best directors around in the world and then be like can you shoot this and then it's always off it's always an awful animatic but you're just and then and then they ask you to write a treatment for winning the pitch and you're like but, but what am i even going to write about like you've literally decided every decision i would be making yeah. you've now decided and then they're like but you still have to come up with a really great idea within the remit of this animatic so basically, that no storyboards and no animatics. Okay. To begin with, and um, for me, I find it very useful to have like background brand information. Like mm. you'd be so surprised the number of briefs that come in with just a rough storyboard and a kind of a production brief, like a little note on casting, little note on wardrobe, and it's mm-hmm. always the same stuff. And then kind of that's it. And then it's only in the creative call you have with the agency that you you kind of pull out a little bit of stuff. And sometimes we even have it where briefs 
are sent on to us and they've forgotten to take out like the strategy brief or something in the brief and they're like oh you can ignore pages two to eight and I'm like why would I ignore pages two to eight like that's the most informative bit of the brief so like you enjoy the strategy part yeah because then that uh, that tells you what you need to communicate and that tells us how we need to approach the problem and quite often we just don't get given that information and they think well why do you need it and you're like, but why wouldn't you give it to right. us? Right, because that's also somebody who already has all that background information. Yeah. And it's a bit like handing someone the keys to a car and yeah. then going like, but you've seen people drive before. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, but it, it also... That was uh, a really bad metaphor. Don't a a little bit. I'm trying, I'm trying to think if there's a better one. This was largely it's because somebody... It's kind of belittling someone. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, well, you're, you're creative like what you're doing is just making a film. Right, that's, yeah, that's you a You really don't understand how we've got to the creative brief we have. And, and nor do you need to. Like, yeah. why should you? We're just and asking you to do. Yeah. So that is something I had to talk. irritating. <laughs> Maybe I didn't have a talk. Maybe I just had a tweet rant about it. About, <laughs> about because I've worked with strategists before, because yeah. I um, my background is largely in social strategy, mm-hmm. and I've worked with strategists before who have come to me and gone, oh, I've done all the heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, honey. And that is like wildly. And they're like, we just need you. And then I'm like, what? You just need me to do my job? And like, what? That's so easy to do the social strategy, which is basically redoing all of your work to like confirm that the audience that you've defined as the audience is Mm -hmm. also the audience on the internet because these are two different buckets of humans. You want me to like retrofit this to match the bucket you want. Like, okay, great. So that is. I agree with you that it is very helpful to have like as mm. much background context as possible. And it's also, it is very belittling when you're on the sort of like, um, someone has determined for you that what the service that you provide is an execution function. And therefore like yeah. you don't need to know all this other stuff. Totally. And, and it's, and to me, it's also mind boggling that you could get that far down the process and be spending that much money in the meantime. And then just at the final hurdle, then be like, oh, no, you're all right. Like, here's a script. Like, off you go. Yeah. And without really talking it through with you. And obviously, this is not everybody, but right. this is a lot of briefs that I But it is a, a reoccurring like problem. Yeah. And, and sometimes you also get, people get kind of um, offended if you ask for the strategic insights behind mm-hmm. it or, or the, like, marketing goals or whatever. Just any kind of context. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> people get kind of like... Um, Competitive is not the right word. What's, what's the word for when you're defensive? Like, yes, or you're like it's mine. Possessive. That's the one. They're kind of possessive. What are the ifs? Their, yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of ifs going on around these agencies. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of that feeling like why would you need that? And, and or like producers who are used to doing things a certain way, and you ask the producer because they're your contact person, and they're like, but now they have to go and ask the strategic lead if they can have that information, and they're there like, oh no, but I'm not. I don't do that. Like, right. Come on, they're, on, they're literally in the room next to you. And I think what a lot of people fall into in probably every job, but because my experience is largely in the like sort of marketing and production world, like a lot of people fall into this weird thing when it's uh, different vendors working together and like mm. clients and uh, agencies and like however you want to break that up, right? It's basically yeah. just different companies working together or yeah. different even parties within an organization. Mm-hmm. What I find wild is that people forget, like, oh, like, me as the brand, I want this to be successful. This agency also wants this to be successful. 
why would I not give them what they need to do their jobs? Like, yeah. it's like people start to sort of pick teams. And I think that a lot of that comes from like insecurities and maybe like, yeah, a lot of ego gets in the way, a lot of mm-hmm. ego. And really, if people like remembered and kept the larger goal in mind of like, hey, it yeah. works well for all of us, if this yeah. turns out well. Yeah. <laughs> like, but then that's, that's such like a nice, that's such a nice way of looking at it but then in the day-to-day of like human nature and money making and all this stuff that it just um the process can get so convoluted and so difficult that you lose sight of actually what you're doing right and this is quite often like a problem of bigger agencies or people with agencies that are struggling and stuff it's it becomes about your bottom line rather than about the the product that you are delivering right and um, there's quite a lot of mistrust that goes mm-hmm. on in some places, and then yeah. and then you're like, well, if you don't trust them, then why are you with that agency? Then you you clearly don't see eye to eye. Yeah. And often as production houses, we can't say anything. It's in, in right. It, we're behind this weird fence, you know, where we see the neighbors arguing, but we cannot say anything, regardless. <laughs> So we have like a bit of a weird insight into it sometimes. And of we actually, what's funnier is we only see half the picture, the argument then carries on when they go inside. Right. <laughs> We've only seen what happened outside. Right. So you're also there like, what What was that about? It's super weird. Well, do you remember being a kid and being at like your friend's houses and seeing their parents argue and yeah, being oh like, my oh my God, I yeah. need to like, just go away. sinking into the sofa. I actually found it faintly reassuring because then I was like, oh, other people's parents argue too. <laughs> my parents never argue like that in front of us. So I like didn't know what to do. Oh no. Oh, yeah. So how did you get used to arguing? Still no good at it. Oh, crumbs. Well, my, my argument, my arguments are good when it's like, um, Almost like more legalities. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Workarounds. You're yeah, all, all I'm over very, it. <laughs> I would make, my parents have always told me I'd make a really good attorney yeah, nice. because I don't take no for an answer. Mm. I I mean, obviously, romantic situations are different. I'm not a monster. But <laughs> like, but I just realized how that could have sounded. But like in most situations, like as a kid, if my parents thought I couldn't do something, I would then go like, okay, well, what if instead, mm. you know, so-and-so's mom drove us and then I yeah. made sure that we were back by 10. Like I yeah. wouldn't just be like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm good at arguing when I know what's at play, when I know all the factors at play. Yeah. I'm not very good at arguing when it's things I'm not prepared for. Yeah. So, like, if somebody is operating on sort of, like, a different value system than I am, mm-hmm. and I'm kind oh, of, yeah. like, I don't understand why we're talking about this. Like, I can't wrap my brain around the it. Kind of, I, the kind of thing where you think, oh, this is a nice person, and then suddenly they drop in something awful, and you're like, <laughs> oh, there it is. Or when it comes to, like, asking for a raise and that oh, conversation crumbs. and yeah. going, like, okay but like here's why I think I deserve a raise but Mm. I don't know what you're actually measuring my value on yeah and that hasn't been made clear and like you think I'm making enough but like I'm not yes there's no other way to put this other than I'm not and also like there I don't know if this happens here but sometimes I've heard the conversation of like oh, are you having a hard time with money? And I'm like, what does that have to do with me wanting to get paid more? Yeah, weird question. Like, no, like, this is a bank, this is my job. When you're having those conversations, like, oh, is, is, 
so difficult because in so many places like that your manager or your bosses they're like also your friends kind of right you know? like I spend totally so much time with my bosses and I'm like so involved in their lives and and I really respect them and so then to be put, having those conversations you kind of have to just realize that for the moment you're both stepping out of your normal roles and yeah. you're stepping into s- someone like I was like, this is actually kind of the woman that I want to be anyway. <laughs> this would be nice if I could do this every day. <laughs> right. You step into that role and then they step into the role of like someone who is not your friend, but someone who is a boss of a company and is having to run it and with an eye to their like margins and can they even right. afford to keep the company running for so long and that they're if they are going to fight for you to get a raise from their boss that they're going to need to go to the table with like tangible reasons yeah. why yeah and so and it should be logical right it right. should always be like a logical it should never have any emotion in it and that is the problem is that I get emotional in those kind of weird right high pressure scenarios like oh my god so there is there's a guy whose website will bombard you with emails after you sign up but Mm. the negotiation scripts are totally worth it where he has really good negotiation scripts for negotiating a raise Mm. um i used his to negotiate like a um like my rent was getting raised a lot yeah and i used it to negotiate to cut the amount that they were going to raise it by like more than half like they were going to raise my rent almost 200 dollars, and i got them to reduce it to like 75 dollars a month goodness um worth it and his name is like Ramit Sethi, I think, and he or Ramit Sethi, but I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. He was on um, the Tim Ferriss podcast talking about negotiating, and his were super helpful. And then the other thing that I heard a lady explain to me, because not to me, maybe she was speaking somewhere. I don't remember the context exactly, but she said that like as women, when we go in to ask for raises, because we're women, basically, a lot of time mm. that people already are like looking for reasons that we shouldn't get one. And that it makes them like us less. But if yeah. you can nip that in the bud early on by like going in and going like, hey, I know already that by me bringing up me wanting a raise that you're going to like me less and like devalue my work. That's just like mm. psychologically how that this conversation works. Yeah. And I want to bring that up right now because I, it's really uncomfortable for me to bring it up. So like just acknowledge that it's an uncomfortable subject Mm. and that like typically this is how it works. And you can even throw in like a, I know you wouldn't do that, but just that's typically what happens. And that way people are like, you're right. I would never do that. Yeah. We would never do it, but let's still talk about it. But to bring it up. And so I don't know. I think the older, the more experience I've had asking for raises, the more Mm. I've, because my parents don't really have like, so my mom stayed at home when I was growing up. And then my one of my dads does, like, he's a chef. So, yeah. like, you don't have those types of raised conversations. Yeah, it's a different And he's in a world. union. So it's, yeah. like, I think there's just, like, a flat rate that he gets per hour, no matter what. And then my other dad, like, basically is, like, very – his sort of attitude was always, like, oh, this company treats me really well because he started off – as an entry-level employee and then worked his way up over time. Mm. So I think that he didn't really push for raises either. So, like, he was always just grateful he got a raise. Yeah. And then I think that shifted when the economy took a turn and they, yeah. like, didn't treat him as well. Yeah. So I never grew up around people having conversations like that. So I had no – and so <laughs> now I've gotten a lot more comfortable with it because also when you're when you're doing consulting work, you're having those negotiations, like, every week or two. Yeah. Right? Like, you're always going, like, okay, well – here's my rate for XYZ. But yeah, and you have to get used to it. 
Yeah, so yeah. that's made me more comfortable. But certainly, so I'm fine with it when it's like a net new relationship. Yeah. Like when it's like, okay, we're starting yeah. to work together. Yeah, but it's, and that's because it's an expected conversation. Right. You know? it's, it's the like after you've been thing? somewhere for a year where you're like, Hey, oh, yeah. no one else has brought this up. And like, yeah. after getting hired, I really, just, they everyone's will, getting paid more than I they am. They offer you a little bit and you want more than a little bit or, right. oh, oh, it's And also horrible. explaining like, hey, the other economic factors around us, like don't mm. matter. Yeah. Like that doesn't matter that, cause I've had it brought up before. Like, oh, but doesn't like your boyfriend pay half the rent? And I'm like, what yeah. does that have to do or, with anything? Or relative, like, oh, so-and-so only earns this much. And you're there like, you're like, yeah, that's not my problem. They no. should have asked for more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you run out of the office and like, you should get a pay rise. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I have told coworkers when I found out how much coworkers were making, uh, just like, hey, like this is horrifying. We have the same job and I'm literally making 30,000 more a year than you oh, are. Oh, Like, you should go back to that. Oh, we have a dog drinking water. This is just what you need. Oh, thirsty after that treat, huh? It's salty. <laughs> It's a salty treat. A bag of chips, basically. Here, have another bag Salt, of chips. Salt, vinegar. <laughs> Throw into that head. This poor dog. It's going to oh look like Spongebob without water. He's going to drink that. Well done. You're a glutton. Okay, so back to the briefs. Yeah, okay, so the briefs. <laughs> no animatics. So no animatics and storyboards. You story want the strategy that included. That gives you a chance to like write it yourself, which considering the field in which I work, like you better believe that I know what works in camera and your your creative at your agency does not. Like how much time have they really spent in front of bubbles in beers, you know? And I've spent thousands of hours with oh God, just tweaking insane. bubbles in beers. And so... Like, I'm like covering my eyes just thinking about they it. They can write listeners. the most fabulous thing, but like in the long run, I'm have I have a lot more experience in how you can make a tomato fall the right way or the wrong way. So just let me have a stab at it. And what I find actually works really well is if we can work together on it. So for me, for something like tabletop, it's way more effective to get the tabletop creatives involved earlier. Mm. Because they have so much knowledge to give and right. they also relish the opportunity to like work with some agency mm -hmm. creatives on, on something rather yeah. than just being told this is what you're, you're shooting. Because also I see the same briefs for the different products all the time. So if one pastor comes to me and says we want to do this, then I can be like, okay, well, I actually know that your direct competitor is also looking to do exactly the same script or or whatever right in the next three months because i just had a conversation with them about it mm -hmm. and it's always a bit of an awkward position to be in because you're not you know you're in between two hard places and you sh you can't really be saying anything as directly as i did there you have to work around the subject very gently yeah um but essentially i i in that case I think it's always worthwhile saying something because then if nobody's a winner if they both make the same work in the same style for the same product then the consumer doesn't know who's who the brand right. doesn't stand out from the other ones the agency work they did all that work and they end up making the same commercial as someone else yeah and so like no one comes out well there so it's I have found it best to, to always put up a small red flag in those scenarios. Agreed. But people will not thank you. Well, Normally, right, it's literally like dumping a bag of crap on their desk and leaving, you know? Like, all the, <laughs> you, you call the person, you leave the message, and then you just see people running, like, around the agency. It's right. a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And do you think that in terms of 
agencies not bringing uh, like production teams on earlier, do you think a lot of that has to do with budget and that they don't want to burn your hours ideating earlier on? Or like, why do you think that? Yeah, and a lot of it is down to the traditional like pitching system. So legally, then you have to have three production houses, three directors, and mm. etc. And so um, that's that's sometimes is the issue because then if you get someone on board earlier, then you still have to have it as an open pitch. Then so even though you could have worked with the creators, if they have to do an open pitch, then you might not win the job. Or it could also be like a it's they're not a fair pitch because they you have already worked with the creators on the project. How interesting. So it, it's that's a difficult scenario to have. So what um, they're working on at Chuck is we actually uh, have very long-term relationships with the clients also. So the agency world in Amsterdam is pretty small. Everyone hops and jumps around and everyone knows everyone. So you could very well have a great relationship with an accounts person who then just hops off to another agency with no food clients or mm-hmm. whatever. And then you, you have to start again with a new accounts person. Mm-hmm. And um, the one thing that doesn't change is always the clients that we deal with. Right. So, and they know us very well. We've done a lot of good work for them in the past and stuff. So we're now reaching a point where a lot of clients will call us to come and help them out with they're doing like a, a table session about you know, how are they going to define what their purpose is for the oh, next year good. and that kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. they they find it useful to get us on board at that point. And for their clients, um, they don't have to legally do open pitches and they can do whatever they want, basically. It's, right. And, and then, is that more ideal then than being brought in at that sort of planning phase? Uh, well, it's, a, it's very interesting for us because we can then slightly steer the ship a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. in, in terms of then we know we know roughly what their end product, what it is that they're going to want. Right. And um, we also understand a little bit more about, not about their brand at all, but about the, the sea of brands within which they're operating. Like we work with all of them. So right. we are like uniquely placed to be able to have knowledge of everyone and to be able to say it's not a conflict of interest. We work for KFC in the same way we work for McDonald's. And it's actually almost a good thing because then we can be very careful to direct KFC one way and McDonald's the other because right. it's it's a win-win scenario. They both want to be different to each right. other, right? Yeah. And um, so what they're, they're developing at Chuck, which actually sounds so simple once you realize it, is this idea of a culinary identity. So you have a brand identity, a visual identity, and mm-hmm. then music people developed a sonic identity for brands. Mm-hmm. You, if you're a food brand, you should also have a culinary identity, right? So the way that your food moves or doesn't move or the way that it's lit or the mm. way is it in motion or mm-hmm. is it in people or is it abstract, that kind of stuff, it, it makes sense, right? You should yeah. have a list of rules and then at every touch point, at every deliverable that is made, regardless of who makes it, there's a set of rules by which your food has to be shot. Right. So like, and some brands already have that, but they don't. It's not like codified. It's not made into a thing. They just you have a brand, a brand manager who's very on the ball. Yeah, or who's been there for a very long time. Yeah, and, and it's like done. knows the history of what VP doesn't like what. And yeah, like. exactly. So and so now we're developing kind of this like a, a a mode of working that that we develop a culinary identity for a brand, 
and then help them stick to it and help them. And, and what's nice about it is once you have a culinary identity and like a rhythm and a pattern like that made, then, and it, and it starts becoming recognizable to consumers, then you can start playing with it. Right. So then you can start fucking about and like yeah, adding in because weird Because then you have a foundation. And, yeah. So it's not like this is a road that you have to stay on. Right. It just gives you an identity and your food is immediately recognizable as your food because these products all look the same. Right. Burger is a burger. Like McDonald's managed to really steer their burgers a certain way where you can most of their time you can see a McDonald's burger and you'll know it's a McDonald's burger. Yeah. In Europe at least. In America In America I have noticed that like the ads that I've seen at least, I know I would actually say I know the Burger King ones better. Yeah. Just because of the way the burger falls is a little bit more specific, I think. Um but also I don't think I've seen because I don't have cable television. And I'm not the burger audience. Like, I don't think I've seen a proper ad for a burger mm. in ages. Like, certainly yeah. I get served, like, period-proof underwear. There's a new period emoji today. Today's <laughs> yeah. the day of the period exactly. emoji. Exactly. Like, I get, like, thinks ads and I get ads for, yeah, like, sure. no, but like I another, get... like, athlete, like, athleisure brand. But I'm like, yeah, I'm never buying this. I don't know why you keep showing this to my, me. Uh, my... Targeted ads is so all over the place because obviously it's all. To, I think it thinks I'm a middle-aged mum with like two kids under the age of twelve. Probably because your dog's name is Edie. Yeah, <laughs> and all the time I get served like these food things and like like oh are you too busy to cook and I'm like oh I don't have any kids like like oh, feed your kids well I'm like where did you get that I have kids from I used to do a lot of um, production and a lot of that included a lot around weddings and so like the oh things goodness, that I would yeah. get was so specific to like wedding stuff that it was <laughs> exhausting to be honest and then when I was what client was I on oh I was working on Acer the computer mm. company for a while and so to this day I still get served like Intel sponsored ads oh. just all the time when does it like, fade away like when does it Stop. God, I don't. It depends. It depends on everything because I don't know where they're pulling these audiences from. Like, if they're yeah. pulling it because of who I follow, or if they're pulling it from you have the to websites. find the weak link in your chain somewhere. And, I know. And delete. But I also am nosy. Like, I like. I got so mad once when my ex boyfriend put an ad blocker on my computer. Ooh, I was. But like, then you can't keep track of them. Keeping that's track of what you. I said. I was like, I need to know how I'm being targeted for inspiration, yeah. and like, I need to know my profile. This and we're still friends. And when I'm at his house, he's like definitely very good at technology. I like basically will only date guys good at technology because I my technology abilities stopped when I was like 13. <laughs> nice. And so unless your Tinder profile, like looking for a tech god, right? Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Who's also hot and, and not a douchebag? Yeah. And doesn't look like a tech guy. Like, <laughs> as long as you know how to, like, do torrent things and you can download, like... Uh, My the, episodes when I need them. Well, and, like, you know, Ableton. Like, I want, like, Adobe Creative Suite without having to yeah, buy nice it. Thing. Don't tell anyone, you guys. I'm sorry. Slash, if you want to sponsor by sending, please yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if Adobe wants to sponsor this podcast, please do. I will... Do whatever you Can need. we ask anyone else to sponsor? I feel like we've been through yeah. a few. If you go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast, you can just support for $9.99 a month or $4.99 a month. So far, only one person's doing it. Shout out to Camillo. <laughs> <laughs> Not an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> Not an ex-boyfriend. Just a really good friend. Oh, God, nice. these ex-boyfriends never sponsor anything, I'll be honest. Just, just 
sponsor what is the use I mean, my therapist now has a great long-term job. Your therapist job. doesn't sponsor either. No, no, he was on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I saw. Oh, you did? Did yeah. you listen? No. You I didn't actually know today. Yeah. I thought, oh, I'll leave that one for tomorrow. Then I'll be like, oh, that yeah. explains so like, oh, God, no wonder why she's crazy. <laughs> Do you know that to this day, I have been going to both my therapist and the homeopathy doctor I go to, who I've gone to each for like over a year now. Mm-hmm. And for over a year, I have had it on my agenda to talk to them about ADD. <laughs> and it is nothing is more telling than the fact that every single time I go, I look at the list and I'll go, oh, yeah, I'll get there. And you then I just never not write that. That's the same as the spelling of the word dyslexia. You know, you're like, right. well, who decided that? <laughs> Why would you do that to these poor people? I'm not even dyslexic and I can't spell it. No, no, definitely not. It's not spelled at all like how you would think a word. It's not spelled like dissolve or there's, disappointment. There's definitely like a Greek something. My mom is literally going to be turning around being like I can't believe that you don't know this she's like you studied ancient Greek for years did you really yeah yeah as in yeah we had a conversation about this the other day that I did so I did classics for like a very long time so I did ancient Latin and Greek and read all of the classics and lived that just you know that whole intellect life loving it did you know that like one of the founders of Stripe did also no or no maybe it's the founder of Instagram one of the co-founders of either Stripe or Instagram yeah, studied Greek for like yeah. three or four years when he so, was a kid. Like, there's a lot of people that do that subject and then become like real high achievers. So my parents obviously had high hopes, you know. <laughs> and then, um, and well, you're on this podcast, pretty lofty. Peak. Let's be honest. Peaking, this <laughs> yeah. is it. I'm gonna send this <laughs> yeah. to my parents and then be like, "Job done. I'm gonna retire." Yeah, they're gonna be like, "You just went on to this girl's podcast and rambled for an hour. No one's impressed." Catherine. You literally haven't even answered any questions yet. <laughs> all, you've done is yeah. all, all you've both done is just ramble on and on about millennial things. Wait, okay, okay. <clears throat> Gather yourself. So yeah, studied this for a very long time, and a lot of people who do that then they go on to work in like quite high-profile careers or stuff, and because it's a very like exacting type of translation and you really have to like focus and if you do classics as a whole you do like philosophy uh, architecture anthropology all sorts oh cool so it also kind of shows an ability to learn across like a wide breadth of subjects so um I did that for like a long time then I did a a master's in it so I kind of started at like 16 ish did it for sixth form and then went into university and then also my master's so Mm. then we're looking at like like seven years, eight oh, wow. years or something. And um and then I like moved over to Amsterdam, did my masters here, and then just kind of stayed a bit longer, stayed a bit longer, and then just ended up staying. But some people they find it so startling that you can work that hard on something that's thought to be so intellectually demanding, mm-hmm. which by the way, bust the myth, it's not that hard I mean it sounds like you just go to normal school but on yeah. something another subject yeah but on a subject that people are like afraid to do I don't know. yeah but I think it's also a leftover class thing where in the olden yes. days it was basically upper classes and, and only upper classes that had these subjects available to them right so that there's also a bit of that leftover in the way that people view it but it's you know, I was in Italy shooting last week and I had a producer who found this out and he was like, oh, your parents not like so disappointed in you that you, you went through all that effort and studied all that. And then, um, and now you're making commercials. 
And then, and um, what does he do for work? He makes commercials. Don't get me wrong, but he can also he could say that also because he had done like a similar thing. I think I was hoping. I'm giving him the benefit. Of the that's doubt. generous of you. Yeah, nice guy. Though. I think he just don't has low self esteem, but that's fine. Lorenzo, great guy. You uh, just called him by. He's a great guy. He'll know it if he listens to this. He's definitely going to know it. He's the only one who said that in Italy. Um. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> So and he he was like, oh, your parents not really disappointed that you now shoot commercials, and I was kind of like, well, I mean, maybe at a certain point they might have been kind of like, oh, it's a shame that you're not doing anything with that because you. But were what would you good be doing? Well, if I had carried on doing it in England, with a classics degree, if you do very well, then you can quite often hop, skip, and jump into all sorts of other careers. But you have hopped and skipped and jumped into just a different career. Yeah. But it doesn't sound it, as fancy. Sure, but if for some people, if you put, like, classics degree and maybe heading into, like, law or something versus right. I make commercials for McDonald's, for some people, they view the two very differently, you know? And, uh, I like that I'm pretending I can't see why. But yeah, <laughs> she laughed, but she tried to do it silently. So people didn't know, but she laughed. Um, so, and like for me, the challenge is more about the is is about the learning, right? Like I've, that's the one thing that has always got me going. It's just learning as much as I can, like yeah. as quickly as I can. And I really found I actually find it very difficult to handle when you actually do achieve your goals. Yeah. Then I just have a breakdown because like, then what? Yeah. And so the Agreed. one thing, what I have learned along the way is don't set yourself like too many like actually achievable goals because that doesn't work for you. No, like I think not that works at all. for some people. Mm, yeah. I'm not a goal-oriented person. No. At all. I have zero interest and in setting if, a goal. If I actually get honest. where I think I was where I like set all my hopes on so at university like I stressed out a lot and I really I wanted to get a first class degree and um, at the time I actually thought my parents were putting that pressure on me and I really blamed them I was we had a lot of discussions and I really I was like you're putting all this pressure on me and then they were like no no really we're not like we don't care what you get we, we love you either way and I was like you're just saying that you know typical behavior and then I reached a certain point where then I got my the grade for my dissertation back and it became clear like you're, you're going to get a first regardless of your last exam it'll be fine and then I just had a total breakdown. Just yeah, for like you 24 no hours, basically just crying. Like, what do I do? Like, why didn't I care so much about that? Yeah. And then, and then you're, you don't really know how to like move on from that. So what I have learned is, is for me, it is very much about the ride. And it's not about the destination. Because there is no final... De the grave is your final destination. Yeah, for and all of us, no matter fine. what we do in the Great. interim. Great, that's my goal then. I'll just set that at the end of the tunnel. But what will you do the next day, <laughs> Cry about dying, you'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> that is something I realized because I was super hard on myself. And I probably, mm. I've eased up on that a lot in the last few years, just yeah. from... I don't know. Like, I think that me hearing other people's stories is really helpful. Yeah. And so I do. And for a while, I was doing an insane amount of podcast listening. Like, yeah. just a, probably an unhealthy amount <laughs> to where, like, I wasn't. But your wisdom was growing by, pod oh. by podcast by podcast. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think that kind of, like, learning to value incrementalism mm. was a big thing for me because I was so hard on myself growing up that if I had tried something and wasn't good at it immediately, that I was just angry. Yeah. And so I even found, because I've played music since I was a kid, 
And musically, I've gotten so much better in the last few years than I did when I was a kid. Mm. Even though people say like, oh, when you're a kid, you'll learn really quickly. I think when you're a kid, you'll learn really quickly if you're like a fun kid. But I was not a fun kid. I was like a really serious kid. Yeah. And so because I was taking music so seriously and like would fall apart in like, Mm. because I had like private lessons, thank God, because I... Yeah, I could not until very recently practice in front of anybody out of like the idea of the horror of them seeing me mess up. Like I couldn't even wrap my brain around that. Like in practice, you mess up. That's the point. Yeah. And Angela Duckworth's book Grit and a lot of the interviews that she did around that book were like very helpful to me. And like Mm. hearing people who were like, yeah, practice sucks and it's you make a bunch of mistakes and it's not easy. And you do the same thing over and over again for two hours. Like, right. Love that. And I was like, oh, Lene, it's okay to practice and make mistakes. And when you relax, that's when you... Because I was starting to think, because I never, like, I'm a photographer, but I'd never really, like, respected photography. (laughs) I had zero interest in it my entire life. Like, did not care at all. (laughs) And then I took my first photo class, and I liked it way more than video. And I'd been doing video in high school. And I was like, okay, I'm leaving. I'm doing photo because I really wanted to shoot action sports. Like, I wanted to shoot for, like, Thrasher and Transworld and shoot, like, skateboarding, basically, and BMX. Like, that's what I wanted to do. But I didn't, like, I still didn't really, like, respect photography because I I was, like, yeah, it's not it's that easy, hard. right? Just yeah. point and shoot. It's well, fine. like, and I was, like, oh, yeah, sometimes there's challenges, but they weren't as difficult. And so then I was reflecting on, like, wait, how come I didn't pick up photography until I was 18 and I'm making a living as a photographer, <laughs> but I've been playing music since I was seven. Yeah. And I'm, and it's like. it's a secondary, like, thing. And I'm, like, shitty at it. Like, yeah. why is that? <laughs> And then I realized, like, oh, I didn't put any pressure on myself with photography because also with photography, I could just take – because I started in digital. I started, mm. like, after film, yeah. like, was sort of phased out of most colleges. Like, I could take a bunch of pictures and experiment in a safe environment where it wasn't then, like, in front of everybody. Yeah. Because I played drums. That's, like, a loud-ass instrument yeah. to be messing yeah. up on. And, like, skateboarding is also, like – one of those things where, like, I would do it and be like, I can't do it in front of anyone. So I would just go skate at, like, 6 a.m. Yeah. So that nobody would ever see me. Um, and then I realized, like, oh, you got really good at this thing because it wasn't something that you were insanely hard on yourself about. Mm. So just relax in other parts of your life. Because also, even if I were, like, certainly as a kid, I thought for sure, like, oh, I'm going to be on, like, a 30 under 30 list. Like, that kind of, like, bullshit that doesn't yeah. actually matter. Because I would love to do a series of interviews with people who were called out as, like, 30 under 30, like, oh 15 goodness, years yeah. ago and see what they're doing now. Yeah. Because, like, the amount of them that, like, might be miserable. Or some of them are in the yummy mommy crew. Right. Now. Yeah. Or dad. Whatever. Yeah. There might be, like... <laughs> and so I just realized, like, oh, even if I did all these things that I've built up in my head as, like, the pinnacle, mm-hmm. then what would I do? Right. Yeah. Like I would get, I know myself, I would get bored Yeah, and I would lose my mind. Like if I can't even handle coming home after traveling and stuff and then like the quietness of home after like I've been working and like on the mm. road or whatever, certainly I'm not going to be able to handle life after an accomplishment. Yeah. Like that's not going to fly. Like yeah. that's so. And also like you, you can't, um, I think when you, maybe it's also because I'm English. So when you, add, when you really do accomplish something, then you just don't want to talk about it. 
I find I, when I get to when you because really, isn't that like a whole cut down the tallest poppy type thing in England? That's like a cultural. Cause yeah, it's, it's in Australia as well. Yeah, I think so. I think a little bit, and it's. Um, uh, I think you're kind of trained that when you have actually succeeded in something and it's really worthwhile and notable, that you should then not have to sing about it like you're yeah. you then but there's also an egotism in that where you then assume that everyone you're speaking to has not achieved stuff that is anywhere near as good as <laughs> what you've achieved that's interesting I so, didn't know that that was the other part of it well my mom phrased it as good manners you know right so but there's also a weird even though it's the whole like people will turn on you but it's there's also a sense of like um, that you're still lording it over people mentally, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Like by not mentioning it, you're like, yeah, I'm just assuming that you are gonna get jealous because I've achieved something. And oh, you have that's it. interesting because the way that I've sort I've of never. Been... This is not something that I've like spoken to people about. But right. I was in my mind, I was thinking about it, and I was like, I for, for me, there was a slight element of like, if people, I was trained as a child, like don't really. You're very good at X, Y, Z, but you should probably not talk about it. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if anyone ever vocalized that to me, but I definitely internalized it. Mm. But I also don't think I'm that good at anything. Like the yeah. only thing that I will, when people are like, oh, are you good at that? That I'm like, yeah, I'm good at that is like with social strategy. Yeah. That's the only thing where I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Because also it's like a function. Yeah more than it is an expression mm -hmm. so it's almost to me more of like a formula and understanding things like I can almost chalk it up to like training and education and like sort of the way that my brain works yeah. with like not only systems thinking but also really paying attention to a lot of different pockets of culture both in real life and the internet that that I feel totally justified going like yes I'm good at that yeah you've got a finger on the pulse I know what I'm doing right like confident I have a good yeah. rate and I'm not ashamed to say, like, yeah, my rate's kind of high, but I promise you, like, I'm, I can deliver. You yeah. Know? Like, I wouldn't say that if I couldn't do it. For other things, like, when it comes to photography, I'm hesitant because everyone has such a different interpretation of what a good photograph is. Yeah. That yeah, it's, it, that you're putting yourself on the line. It's a different thing. Like, with your social strategy, you're, kind of, you're delivering a product. And, the, you know, yeah. they, can, they can define... Everyone can define in the same way, basically, if the product is good or not good. Right. Or effective, let's say, totally. or not effective. And then with something more creative, it's, it is a little bit of yourself and your opinion that you put in front of people. And you, as, you are putting something that you say, in my opinion, this is good. Yeah, totally. And then they just tear it to pieces, partly because that's their job also. Yeah. Well, and it's also just yours. Like with the podcast, I can go like, oh, I think you'll like my podcast if I know someone's taste. Yeah. But... That's not because I'm like, I'm a good podcaster. Mm. It's because if it were just me, on me here talking, I would never tell anybody about it. Like yeah. if, it were just, if it were just me going like, hey, here's my cultural insights, yeah. I would be absolutely mortified to yeah. tell anyone about it. However, because I have guests that I can then like pull interesting conversations from, mm. I have less shame in going like, hey, listen to my podcast. Yeah. However, I certainly have shame in the idea of being like, like I could never, even if like only five people listen to this, I would never in my life go like, I really need more listeners. Like I could just yeah. never do that. I like, 
I'm like itchy just thinking about the yeah. idea. But in a way, I respect people who are willing to make themselves vulnerable in that way. Yeah, totally. Because I'm like, oh, I would never do that. That's like, I feel so weird. Yeah. I mean, I still have so much to learn about this. Like, I'm surrounded by people who have been to like film school or study photography or, or done a lot of that work where they have got through this process of not of it being less attached to your work mm. and it being like yeah it's just a job you know but I am pretty fresh to it so um I've only been at Chuck for like three and a half maybe four years so mm -hmm. and I started out as a PA went into the production side of things then slid into creative and then kind of sidestepped into directing mm -hmm. um so for me it's still so personal right and when I put like um shot lists and stuff in front of people it's their job to pick holes in it and to ask questions and yeah of course it is um but I'm still having to battle with the idea of um what I do is people say it's a creative thing and I'm kind of like to me it feels more like problem solving I put forward a solution to people but that is a form of creativity like if yeah. I think about it this way is that um Okay, so there's a book out called Radical Markets, and it's basically just different ideas about different ways of structuring the economy. To me, that's also creative. Like, even though it's mm. maybe not traditionally, like, art that would be in an art fair, yeah. it is a way of creative thinking where it's, like, um, having a complex conversation and going, like, oh, this can be solved if we do, if we just do it this way, right? Yeah. Like, um, and I think that, you're able to break it down into problem solving because you're seeing it like that's what makes it easiest for you to mentally digest mm. but it still is a creative way of problem solving yeah and yeah and but yeah the, uh i hear so many other um directors speaking about like their creative vision and stuff and what i find really interesting is that actually what we do there is, of course, an element of creativity in it, but it's it's rarely like your vision. You're right. always with agencies and all sorts of... There's so many other factors involved, and by the time the film actually you get to the shoot and then to the edit, it's so different to what you had, which is always the process. But here you're talking about like maximum, like a 30-second small world that we're living in so the tiniest change has such a big effect on the final right. film that um it's very much like a collaborative work and a lot yeah. of people then say to you like oh that film that you did was really nice and I'm kind of like I don't feel but but with with commercial projects by the time it gets to the end I don't feel that sense of ownership that you feel like, I have done a few free work, like, passion projects, and those I'm, like, still too embarrassed to put in front of people. Right. But with the commercial work, I, I look at it, and I'm like, okay, that was, like, a job well done. Everyone's happy with it. It's, like, right. a nice film, and I'm, I am proud to say I was involved in it. Yeah. But I don't in any way think that that is mine. That's okay. Yeah, There's but, no it's, but it's, it's such a, it's such, like, a weird uh, niche of, of filming and directing but well but also I think that men do things very differently where a lot of men see anything that they do as theirs and so what happens is that then because they were involved with it and they know that from a personal brand perspective it makes them sound more valuable by saying that it like this is mm. mine yeah and like that I was the lead on this and whatever that's that's I think a lot of the times why 
um, men will get more promotions because I've yeah. seen I've seen it and I've worked with people who will take a project where there were six people working on it and all they've done really is make made a really buttoned up deck yeah. and go like, oh, here's this project that I did with zero acknowledgement that like they basically signed off on a lot of stuff mm. and like maybe pulled in a few insights of their own, but like that there were five or six other people coming up with ideas and executing it and like doing all these other pieces of it. Yeah. And so especially, I haven't seen this happen as much in um, like privately owned agencies, mm. but like especially in larger corporate environments, yeah. you'll see people move up the ladder who aren't actually particularly good at anything except for um, basically like spinning up a good deck that makes them look successful. Yeah. So it and being really, able to put their hand up like at the right time. Totally. Such a skill. It is. And so I think that it can be very tricky because I agree with you. Like I have a really hard time saying that anything is mine mm. because like this podcast is mine, but that's because I literally like thought of it and do it end yeah. to end. But at the same time, I still regularly give a nod to that. Like my friend Avery is the reason I even got into podcasting because he asked me to produce another podcast with him. So I'm never just like, oh, I just did this on my own. Um, but I think that is what separates someone who is good at, uh, like almost like the brain of an, an ecologist because mm. your background and training is so broad that you understand that multiple things work together versus yeah. someone who treats everything in a very linear way where they're just like, well, I'm going to climb this ladder and like, here's my next step and here's my next step that like, I don't know. I yeah. Think, well, we were speaking, thing. we were, I, I was speaking to, uh, someone the other morning who he was saying like, um, that he, and he's been in agencies for a very long time, both in um, America and here and maybe Australia. Um, and he was saying that like, he finds very often that women are not as quick as men to be like, actually, that was my idea. Because, you know, there's a lot yeah. of stuff that goes on with like idea claiming and egos yeah. and whatever. And, and he was like, in his experience, a, a woman is just that bit quicker to be like, okay, fine. Like, if you want to say it was yours, then I can't be bothered to fight with you about this. Because what? I think we're also socially intelligent and we know how shitty it makes a person look if mm. they stand up for them. Like, yeah. because I think we've all experienced that thing where you have somebody, like, I dread the idea of, like, being the whiny person or being the squeaky girl. Yeah, yeah, or being the hysterical female right. in the room who's trying to, like, oh, actually, that was my idea. And then right. he'll look at you like, well, why did you feel the need to say that? Is it because you're a woman? Right. And you're feeling threatened. You're like, well, no, actually, it's because he just stole my idea. He just said it louder. <laughs> right, yeah, definitely. And it is nobody, none of us want to be that person, but unfortunately, because we aren't, then we also don't get recognized for having the mm. ideas. And so it becomes a very double-edged sword. Yeah. There was actually, there's a really cool, I was listening to interviews with, I think I told you, I don't even know if I said it while we were recording, but I was listening to interviews with Cindy Gallup and she yeah. had this like, uh, on the 3% conference website, you can find a page of, of like a hundred micro actions, which are like small actions that you can take to like basically do the opposite of microaggressions, <laughs> like to promote for like stand up for women in the workplace. Yeah. And nice. so it was like a very cool, I can't think of any of them off the top of my head, but there were like small things that people can say and do. And I've, I've been really fortunate to work with a few people 
my friends Gary and Nolan being two of them that come to mind who have spoken up. Oh, and this other strategist, Allison, that I worked with, who've stood up and gone like, oh, actually, that was Lene's idea. Like when somebody's gone, hey, good job, you know, and pointed out their success, but we were working together that they've given me credit. But I've certainly worked with equal amounts of people that have not done that. And I there's been certain work environments I feel fine saying something about it. And there's been other ones where I'm like, is it really worth it? Yeah. Like for what? <laughs> yeah. And, and But that's the weird thing, right? Like, is it worth it? Mm, objectively, you would say yes. But then in the in the moment, you're like, oh, nah, my right. name, it's not worth it. But like, of course it's worth it. For everyone to know that that was yours or that you were the brain behind it, 100% it's worth yeah. pissing off some people to say that. But in the moment, you're like... Like oh, right. we're on to the next thing now. Like it's yeah. fine. I'm here for the team, not for right. me. Like, which is mm, how nah. I operate mostly. Is like oh yeah, I just want to like do better for everybody. Which is probably why it's better that I'm doing consulting than like actually 100 percent on a team. Because I'm like <laughs> it's great. I could pop in and help like make recommendations and like help people see things differently. Yeah. And I'm like part of the team. But if I know that if I was somewhere every day that I would eventually be like, but guys, we're a team. <laughs> but I, I would say it's also kind of difficult for, um, uh, well, definitely for me, you might have experienced the same thing, is that I look quite young for my age, mm. and especially um, for, Wait, how old for are the you? Don't mind me asking. 27. Okay, yeah. So, um, well, hopefully I look young for my age, I don't know. Well, that's why I, I, but I didn't want to say it, but yeah. <laughs> no, I do, thank you. So I look pretty young for my age, so I find myself quite often in scenarios where I'm surrounded by dudes who are like 40 plus, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult dynamic to handle because they, they quite often, especially when I work in America, I'll be talking to people on the phone or via Skype or whatever, and I have an English accent, and I kind of sound like I know what I'm talking about which I don't, but I sound like I do. You, you know Take what you're talking about. So then these people, they feel that I must be of a certain age and a certain status, mm. you know, and then I arrive and I'm normally dressed like kind of slobbily and like Me no too. I makeup. actually dressed up for you today because oh, I thought you'd be fancy. so cute. Thanks. Oh, I should have kept my sweatpants And then on. I wasn't fancy. <laughs> I, was so, I was like, I saw you pull up and I was like, damn it, I could have kept my like men's t-shirt yeah. and sweatpants on. It was just fine. And then, and then I, uh, I rock up, walk it into the meeting, and then you can just see them all be like, oh, okay. And then their demeanor literally changes yeah. there and then. And that's the, the annoying thing that, I, that you can see it happening in front of your eyes. And um, there's, there's not much you can do about it. Like, I'm not going to stamp my feet and create a scene. But at the, and at the same time, there's also in the back of your head, there's always this thing of like, okay, you weren't quite new to this industry. Like you've somehow shot from A to B very fast and you have worked super hard. But let's be honest, you, you've only been in the industry for a short time. Mm-hmm. You don't really have like film school or anything in the back uh, as your background. So they look at you and they think, well, well. But what if you thought of it this way is that it took you only X amount of years to get to the same place it took them 15 years to get to. Also something that annoys people. Which is their problem. Sure, their problem. And in the, in, in I have to deal with that problem. Right. You know. No, so I... either way you look at it, you're fucked. 
<laughs> you have to just put a nice good name down the middle. You're only there for a week or two. Yeah, so it's fine. It's like you roll off the project. But no, I, you have to find that middle lane, and and that's part of the issue is that then I find myself trying to get people to like me, and then afterwards I'm like, Do you know what, actually. I shouldn't have cared so much about whatever X, Y, Z, because, like, in the in the long run, do I really care? No. Right. Now I'm out the other side? No. And also, I have found that people liking someone and people respecting someone are not linked. Yeah. And my dad would often say something that I, as an adult, appreciate, where he would be speaking about certain people and he would go like, yeah, I don't really care if they like me, but they're going to respect me. Like, yeah. And I have noticed um, definitely the older I've gotten, the more people, I can't tell if it's that people actually treat me with more respect or that I'm more confident. Yeah. That I'm not as like that worried. That you ignore all the like other stuff that happens. You can just brush it off. Or that my confidence like makes people just be more respectful. I yeah. can't tell. I think it's an, it's, it's. It's an attitude thing. If you just yeah. demand it, then you get it. Which, when when you're younger, though, you don't even know what that means, right? No, you're no. like, I don't even know. That's like trying to explain what a banana is to someone yeah. who's only ever ate citrus. Yeah. That you're like, it's I don't know. It's work. like weird. You're like, but how do I demand respect? Like, am I, should I just be like really mean to people do all I the time? Around? Like, yeah. what do I do? <laughs> but I've, it's insane because almost immediately when I cut my hair, people were more respectful to me. Really? It was the the weirdest. Did you go like full buzz cut vibes or what did you? I did at one point, yeah. yeah. So it went from but the, like. The start, the first chop. The first chop was how it is basically is right that, now, yeah, which uh, for listeners, I basically have a, I had like a very girly pixie at first. This is probably like an edgier sort of short this haircut. This is Hermione Granger when she went edgy. Ah, <gasps> oh, thank you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> a dream. Save that um, over later. Great. <laughs> actually, in fact, my hair looks a bit like if you've ever seen the cover of the movie Single White Female. It's sort of like that. Um, maybe that's where people started to respect me. Um, but then when it was buzzed, yeah, I think people were just frightened and confused, like why yeah. I had a job, like because yeah. I did have it as a buzz cut for a while, and certainly I could tell it made some of my coworkers uncomfortable. Yeah, um, it's weird, right? Which is hysterical. Like I still. But I was also, like, very cautious before I buzzed it. I was like, look, I don't think I told them – I don't know if I told them I was going to do it before. Maybe I talked to them before, but perhaps I spoke to them after. And I really meant it where I was like, look, I understand if because of my haircut right now, if you don't want to bring me around the client. Yeah, that is. Like – It's weird that you even have to say that, but yeah. It is weird, but it's also aware of, like, different generations, yeah, different cultures that, yeah, because – I don't want to for someone to make plans and then be put in a really tough situation. And granted, of course, mm. like I'm fully aware, especially in like the lawsuit happy culture that is America, no one's then going to be like, yeah, well, we're not taking the rent anymore. <laughs> Thank you for your offer. If you could stay in the <laughs> right. back office, that would be great. Totally. But you're there like ka-ching. <laughs> I was also just like, yeah, I'm not gonna not have a haircut I want. For, yeah. because of a job who may or may not care. And also, like, if it's that big of a deal to you, then maybe I shouldn't work here. Yeah. If you totally. don't like my hair. Like, if that's our biggest problem, then, yeah. like, either you need to adjust your attitude or maybe decide yeah. that I shouldn't work here. I mean, yeah. So it, it is a weird thing where, like, but I have noticed people in general, like, 
men are more respectful towards me. They don't hit on me as much, which is great. When I had a buzz cut, men were like almost rude. Like they would yeah. shoulder check right? me in public and yeah. stuff, like shove me out of the it get, way. It gets aggressive. Yeah. It's as if like, how could you, how could you even dare to which, get a buzz cut? I would love to know how many men get unsolicited advice on like how they should look oh, because the amount gross. of like DMs I get from guys that I know that I'm friends with yeah. even like guys that I've dated. Yeah. And even just friends or people I don't know who just follow me who have seen old pictures of me with long hair and let me know that they would like me more if I had long hair. No. And I'm like, okay. I thought at the very least they were going to say that they don't like the short hair, not that they would would like like you better. Oh my god, which I'm like, I don't even know how to respond to that. No, me neither. You just leave it, right? You just don't say anything. Don't even dig. I know I'm an asshole. I send one of the, I don't even know what emoji this is. It's that emoji where like your thumb and your index finger touch. That's like a cool story, bro type emoji. I send one of those just because I'm like, can you imagine if I went into some man's like DMs and was like, Mm. hey, if you just did more like shoulder workouts, you might be more attractive. I might like you more. Yeah. Yeah. If perhaps you could do sort of like a high and tight instead of this buzz cut, I think I might like you more. And I find here. I should start doing that. Yeah, and see what happens. Just make, like make a little I'm gonna make make a video. I'm going to make a Finstagram of just like a really like hot girl and start DMing men. of like, hey, I thought just you were really cute, but what if you maybe like grew out some, what are those things called? These on the side? Sideburns. Sideburns. Yeah. I'm just going to start little, But maybe go for something that's even more, that's like, like un- unachievable. Like, you know, when someone says you should get a boob job or something. Like, maybe, maybe if you weren't balding. Yeah. <laughs> If you, oh my you god! Could undo your balding oh, it's pattern. Awful. If you could, if you just, just didn't have that tattoo, could you wax your shoulders? I noticed a little bit. <laughs> it's a real game changer for me. Yeah. His hair on the shoulders. I noticed that you're only five ten. <laughs> if you could get that vertebrae surgery or just a few inches added onto your femur, I think we might be compatible. <laughs> but I find that that happens here. So. Um, it's my the sets that I'm on are very much a masculine world, mm-hmm. right? So, it, even even in it's obviously everyone's been on board with the whole like Me Too. It started very much in the film industry. Oh, everybody has to be on board with it. Yeah, well, you would be surprised. I, there are definitely people who are not on board with it. But don't don't you think that everyone in the workplace at least has to like verbally be on board with it? Oh. I oh, no, really? don't get no, don't by the way, don't question my beliefs. This is no, no, what I'm, I'm okay, you. good. I just <laughs> what I'm reflecting here is not what I believe, it's what I have seen. experienced okay. and heard, right? And yes. there's a lot of uh, you know, the classic like, oh the world's gone mad, like what what are you even supposed to do as a man now? Now like, that you uh, can't I don't know. Now that you can't sexually assault women oh, in elevators right anymore. Now, you can't say anything Why anymore. Why go to work at yeah, all? This kind all of the stuff. Over. Yeah. <laughs> You really you hear this a lot around here. Like my my sets are even more masculine than normal. Like I don't have a makeup person, I don't have a wardrobe person. Those are oh, normally God. your take the box women on the set, right? right? So I have not not even that. And it's all like men playing with robots and like rigs and just like loving oh, life, you know. And uh, Cindy had in that, uh, in one of her quotes was like when white men compete, you get Batman versus Superman. And that is, like, exactly what happens in totally. my world. Like, it's people are so into their, like, robots and what they can do with their high-speed cameras. And they kind of forget everything else. It's all about, like, the next they biggest forget, robot. They forget, like, composition and good lighting. Totally, that it doesn't matter. Because totally. they've got... They doesn't matter. Like because the robot was moving at, like, 95 miles an hour. Like, okay, oh cool. Um, but 
in, in that world, because it's so much more masculine, I also find, and it's dirty, right? There's grease everywhere and there's beer splashing. Like it's, it's, it's not like a nice clean day. Normally you get coffee right. and in a, a good day, you might get some coffee spilled on you because you're shooting coffee. And you're like, well, that's not so bad. At least it doesn't smell that bad. Yeah, at least it's not dairy. Yeah, exactly. And the, the worst is the grease frying and you get burn, burn everywhere. But so you're also, you're, you're never wearing nice clothes. Anyway. Mm -hmm. It's always a bit gross. Lots of lights, very hot, a bit sweaty, like it's not a sexy world. And, but then I still have men in that world say to me things like, oh, why don't you dress like a woman? And I'm like, okay, I don't really know where to begin with that. There's yeah, so well, many different Yeah, what do women things. dress like? Exactly. Because isn't Ellen and, a woman? And, and if, also, like, isn't... If you mean... Uh, by a woman you mean like dresses and heels like okay super impractical like I can't be lifting anything if I'm dressed like that and if I turn up dressed like that on on any set then you're all gonna you would all me. be like what is she doing yeah. that's totally like irrational now she can't do anything other than stand there right and direct which actually I guess might be a good thing because yeah. then I would stop helping everyone else out and I would just be like I'm that's your new plan it's like yeah. you're gonna dress normal Wait, and we're gonna change for outside the door she's gonna start showing up and just changing into like lady clothes Outside yeah. the door, walking in, so like, well, I can't do I'm gonna it have anymore. two bags. I'm going to have lady clothes and man clothes. And like, real clothes. <laughs> but um, and what I find like so weird about that is it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind right. of scenario. Like I, I am never going to win in any way that conversation. So no. I can't be bothered to have the conversation. Like there is I mean, no right. real outcome to that other than educating him. But he has some like 60-year-old dude. It, I'm not going to change his outlook on life by having a fight with him about this. No. So, like, fine. Yeah. But I I find that... But the that... men that you work with, honestly, I think, because I've seen men in my life at least do a really good job of this, of being helpful and going, like, what's wrong with what she's wearing? You know? Yeah. Like, and, I mean, I also, luckily, one thing, even though I'm not good in all negotiations and stuff, I luckily grew up in a family of just sort of, like, a lot of chastising. Mm -hmm. So, like, my grandpa and I will go back and forth on each other a lot. Yeah. And he'll say things like that to me. And at a very young age, like, he would be mm. like, well, finish all your food. Like, there's starving kids in Africa or whatever. And I think I was, like, seven. And I was like, oh, yeah? Name three. <laughs> Just because that's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, and what does it mean that I should dress like a lady? Like, yeah. well, then why don't you pick out an outfit? Like, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. What should change then? Yeah. Should I exactly. wear heels? Like, is, because that is the kind of thing where it's like... I think by asking people questions about the bullshit that they're throwing at you, even though I agree yeah. with you, like you shouldn't have to. I think it's very annoying that the burden is then on the person yeah. receiving that type of nonsense. Yeah. Is that it makes you go like, oh, and for what? Yeah. Like, because what's the purpose? Like, so that it's more comfortable for you? Like, so that I'm prettier to be around? So, yeah. So that I'm, it's more obvious to you that I'm a woman. Right. Like, Would you like to pay the... for an outfit that I don't like? Because I'm not going yeah. out buying an outfit I don't like just for this bullshit. No, like... totally. And um, with the with him especially, I kind of like to, as in, he's around a lot and I really, and I like working with him. He just is a little bit old fashioned sometimes, you know? So uh, right. with him, you have to give it back as good as you get. And right. credit where credit's due, he takes it very well. Oh, that's fine. good. But, um... I find that I'm much quicker now to do that kind of chastising when I see it happening not directed at me. Mm. When it's directed at me, I feel that I'm I can take the decision like 
of course, there are things that catch you off guard where you always react in the wrong way and then you're like, oh, curses, that's not how I meant to react to that. Yeah. But there are, when there are other things coming at me that I know are going to come, then I'm like, okay, I know I can take the decision whether or not to react to this or whether to leave it. And I'm also in a position to be able to do so. Technically, in that room, I'm the director, right? right. Say if I'm in that's if say if that was my set and I was the director, it's actually I'm in charge of the room. So right. so there's not a weird power play kind of thing at right. work. Whereas when you see it happening, when I see it happening with other people, and the and the roles are slightly different. Now, from having had it happen to me, I'm much quicker to just like pull people up on stuff. Mm-hmm. And not in an, an aggressive way or anything, but just, just to be like, like here sometimes people use the word feminist as if it's like a really dirty word and it's mm. a cultural thing yeah. for them. And um, I'm now very quick to be like, just watch how you say that. Like you, you literally said it with distaste. I could see that you went, oh, feminist. Like I could see it. It was gross the way you said it. Yeah. And um me in the past would have just ah, laughed, 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 it's fine. Right. And it's only now, and I think this happens to everyone, right? It's once you start to get a sense of like who you are and what you value, then you start to feel more comfortable. And it was the same thing we were talking about earlier about not needing people to like you. Right. And it's something that you definitely have to grow out of, but yeah. no one really tells you the sooner you grow out of that, the sooner you will start achieving. And I yeah. wish that someone had said that to me at a very early stage. Yeah, I one thing that helped me a lot in that was realizing, because I rarely saw that behavior, mm. and then when I saw people do things that weren't sort of falling into like what's natural, at least to me, I realized how much more I respected them. Yeah. And I went like, oh, and like, what was it about that action? Like, because I didn't even know that, that was an option. Like the first time I saw someone receive critical feedback and that person go like oh okay thank you yeah. versus fight that person yeah that's the thing right it's that's what I was just thinking it's about being able to take that criticism or owning a huge mistake mm-hmm. just being able to own it and be like yep fucked it fine move on right and being like how are we going to solve it rather than well how are we if you made the mistake how am I going to solve it right but um when you first see people behave like that, then you're like, oh, that is how I should do that. And then your personal growth gets so <laughs> much better because yeah. it is all about making mistakes, right? Like, especially in like a creative field, mistakes is where you grow totally. Right. And you it's just how you have learn. to cross your fingers that you don't make a mistake on like a massive platform. Sometimes you do. Yeah. But then you just have to suck it up and be like, yeah, do you know, not my best work, but. I'm now on to something else. And to realize also, like, yes, it's unfortunate. Yes, it impacts potentially the bottom line of the project and a bunch of different things. Yeah, you may lose your job, but, like, the sun's still going to rise tomorrow. Like, there are other jobs out there to be gotten. And I know that, like, that sounds very flippant. But, I mean, I have been let go from many jobs. Mm. Not ever flat out, like, fired. Like, I've never been... Put your stuff in the box and get out. Right. It's never been that. It's never been like, hey, you. it's been like laid off. And it's a bruise to your ego, even from jobs that I didn't actually like. Yeah. And I realized yes. like... And from people you didn't actually like. Right. Because normally if you like the job and you like the people you work for, then you'll do it pretty well because right. you, it's a nice environment for you. And typically it's always been 
all three times I've been let go, it's been like very specifically sort of like a budgeting issue. Mm -hmm. And I think one time it was like budget plus culture fit. It was like a combination of Mm -hmm. those two things. And that's a weird one, the culture fit one, because if you don't see it yourself (laughs) and then someone tells you you're not the right fit, you're like, oh, really? It's it's like being in elementary school. Where you're like, what? I thought I fitted my in. (laughs) And then you do start to have this sort of existential crisis of like, how could I have been so blind? Yeah. And so... Like, do I know myself? Right? And like, do I even know how I impact the world around me? Do I even impact the world? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Do I impact it too little or too much? It has to be in one direction or the other. Okay. And then also what I have learned is don't question yourself so much. This was something that I was thinking about the other day. I read this... Um, really great article that was talking about how nowadays we're like we're trained to think is this the right role for me am I in the right career like am I surrounded by the right people to always ask all these questions and like what is life and where am I going and like what is my goal and then which is what a privilege that we're at this place sure. as a culture that we have the headspace and, and to then ask obviously these we're all ridden with anxiety and all sorts of problems and then at the bottom of the whole thing the whole article she then has this paragraph where she's like or you can do what like most people who are mentally happy do is they just stop asking the questions and they just enjoy the ride and they're like, well, just see what happens. It's fine. Yeah. And I was there like, oh, crumbs. No one's actually ever laid it out to me like that. And now I'm just going to carry on going and I'm just going to deal with my here and now. Right. And then if there is an issue, then fix it and move on. Yeah, you can cross that bridge when you get to it. But I, fine. I have found myself in moments probably of like a lack of sort of stimulation from the world around me of questioning those types of things. Yeah. And I think naturally we all do. Or yeah. that, that's, uh, that's us as human beings. That's what mm-hmm. we do is we question our state and we question whether we are in the right state or where we should be. And always. what that even means. Yeah. Like what's the meaning of it and all. And do I even have any control over it? Like what is free will? Classes. This has got big. <laughs> oh, you should, that's, you that's should the, That is yeah. the nature of the human mind, right? Yeah. But, and, and like... Drugs do not help. Alcohol no. definitely does not help. No. The more you go down, and like you know, all these people doing all these ayahuasca things to like find themselves, and I'm like, well, did you? It's very helpful. Did you, just... <laughs> did you find yourself in Dad the middle? Dad blows off your ear. No, I think that those sort of like uh, processes. Cool, <laughs> yeah. I have found them more helpful in getting like a closure on some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard that actually. If you have a very specific thing that is troubling you, that 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 can be very helpful in that kind of route. Yes. But I also have some uh, middle to upper class friends that that. didn't really have a problem, and then uh, and but they like to think they do. If you're in like the there's like pockets of the US where we've called them like trustafarians, yes, trust fund kids who yes. And if those kinds of people, I found that it unleashes that in them. But I found that it unleashes that in them because that's why they did it to begin with. Yeah, it was already there. It was totally. already there. Where like now they just feel justified in this like throwback to Woodstock sort of mental mm-hmm. state of like. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, hey, that's a very like passe headspace. Why don't you take all the energy that you're taking questioning things to just like yeah. do something? Like literally, if they took all that energy and just went and like volunteered with children, anything, anything, yeah, like because the, learn a language, man. Yeah, do something. Slash, like you can go help kids in need and tutor kids <laughs> after school. 
and also be figuring your life out at the same time. Yeah. Like yeah. sitting and idling over your life is getting you nowhere. Yeah. So I think that like for anyone, I think that for like people who really don't know what they want, that by starting in a direction, like any direction, you're at least gaining experience in mm. something. You're being mentally stimulated. Yeah. Like you're moving in a direction and you can always figure out what you don't want. Yeah. And what you do want within that. And you can change gears. But I don't think it's healthy for anybody to, like, stay totally still. Yeah. And, like, for do sure. nothing. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that that direction is, like, set for life. Yeah. It's like, why would you stand still? Because even, No one else sta stands still with you. No. You're going to have to start moving at some point. God, one of my friends, Cheyenne, sent me the best sort of advice once. <laughs> I thought when you I was... were about to say, one of your friends, Cheyenne, she's a real standstiller. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, what are you doing? <laughs> I only uh, will talk trash on ideas rather than like <laughs> actual individuals typically. I so like it. My friend Cheyenne, he's amazing. I've talked about him on this podcast before. His Instagram is at Indian Giver and he does just like really awesome art. And he sent me this quote that I literally have screenshotted in like an album I call like advice <laughs> with like a heart emoji nice. on my phone. And he said that like in looking back at his own life that like it was a bit like a flip book. And that everything over time that was a noun, like the people, places, and things all changed. Mm. But the thing that really mattered was like the time and energy he put into like his own personal growth and development. Yeah. And when he said that, because he's about 10 years older than I am, I was just like, oh, damn, that's like, like, thank you for that, for sort of validating yeah. the like importance of putting in work to your own, into yourself. Yeah. Um, but I think also that like generosity with time and, and energy is also putting it into yourself because you're never going to regret like for people who are sort of like I don't know what to do even when I'm working a lot or not working at all I'm mm. still volunteering and like active yeah. in my community I'm never just like oh like it's all about whatever yeah. now like I'm, I'm in the big brother big sister program like I've tutored at libraries and stuff and I think that that stuff will never like that will never take away from your life yeah and so I did the same I did the same thing in Bristol when I was there at university and I had a lot of people being like why are you doing that? You have to go all the way across town like every week and you have to sit there with all these kids and it's different kids every week. It's not like you build relationships with the same children. No, but it's like, well, you have to, you have to do something. Like, and also like... You're sitting here at a fancy middle-class university in a town that has people who literally can't speak English and have to go to a school where it's all in English and then they're there like obviously not doing well in school and then when people are worried like but you're not gaining anything from it and you're like what are you this is my question to people yeah. who are like yeah but if it's xyz and like what if they move or like what if whatever <laughs> and i'm like okay but like what's the return on like the brunch that you go to with your friends yeah. and like you spend hours watching reality tv and like what value is that adding to your life people ask you questions like oh do you want to be a teacher then <laughs> you're like Oh, like, I don't, do you want to be a professional bartender? Then why are you always out drinking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. right. say <laughs> but, um, but a nice way, if you don't know where to start, I would say now in retrospect, like Captain Hindsight to the rescue always, I would say that a good place to start is finding someone that you really respect and admire, regardless of what they do. If you can find a person who who you personally find to be very inspirational and very um 
empathetic is maybe not the right word, but you connect with them on a certain level or you would like to, mm-hmm. then that's such a good place to start because it doesn't matter what they do and it doesn't matter what you do. Like if you can get a foot in the door with them in any way, shape or form, this doesn't have to be someone who runs a business. This is right. just anyone who does something that find a mentor like that. And like it might be that you then get very interested into what interests them also. Yeah. But and you a lot of people will say that they don't have those people in their lives, but they do. They just are not they're not open to it. So it might be like your weird Uncle Gary that you only ever see at Christmas and then sudden, suddenly you have like an actual conversation with him and you're like, Oh, crumbs, like you are actually so good in this and you're and I really respect you and I really admire what you've actually done in your life. Right. I'm only now coming to ask you about it. Yeah. And use those people because that's where you learn. That's where you see, say, for instance, we're talking about making a mistake and owning it. You only see that, you only learn that behavior once you see it. Like people will tell you, right. you need to own your mistakes, but you don't really know what that means until you no. see someone do that. Yeah. So you have to surround yourself with these people as much as you can, regardless of their industry and even if they're still working. Just be there when they go through all these experiences and learn from how they react to it. Yeah. And some reactions might not be for you. Some decisions might not be the decisions you might have made. But at least you're thinking about it. And at least you know that that decision is an option or like that yeah. that reaction was an option and didn't work. And I think also when you can have those sort of relationships with someone you respect, a lot of times those people, you respect them because you have enough in common, but also enough that's different that there's room to learn from. And a lot of times those people will see things in you that you don't see in yourself. Or maybe you kind of underneath it all know about yourself, but you haven't heard anyone vocalize it. So you don't, you're like, well, maybe I'm just crazy, right? Like maybe I'm being a dreamer or whatever. And so a lot of times those exact people, even if they're doing something totally out of a career that you think that you might want or be interested in, it's not like they've, only lived that like people that are older than you have lived a bunch of different lives and they've seen a bunch of different things like they will have a lot of experience to pull from to like give you insight and a lot of old school thinking for you to discard yeah but in a good way but in a a good way healthy you know reaching across the generational aisle (laughs) kind of way But it is risky that... They'll tell you to dress like a lady when you go to work. Dress like a lady. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Catherine, what is a, like, subject that you would want to hear a future behind-the-scenes episode on? I was thinking about this. And I had it, I was really struggling because there's so many. Oh, I I was half because of, I could tell already from our conversation on the phone, that like we both sort of have brains that do like a lot of divergence and convergence and, and jumping and jumping total jumping like we we're both <laughs> <laughs> um, that I was like mm, if I tell her this she might spiral out of control over it but like that's her choice no but so then I ended up I was thinking about it last night and then I ended up being like so this might be because of my own bubble echo chamber oh good etc but I have always thought that I would love to hear and have never heard this story, like uh, uh, the military, but from a female perspective, is not something that I, I have that. ever come across. And I don't know why. And that's why I think maybe it's actually just my own echo chamber. Maybe there is a lot of stuff out there. But it's something... Any specific this, country's military? I'll take any. I'm not picky. It's fine. <laughs> 
goody. <laughs> right, where are you going next? <laughs> well, no, because, yeah, right, exactly. Um, I actually, well, I think in Israel they make everybody. Yeah. And so yeah, I've always, I, maybe I'll do a few episodes and have people, you mm. know, like a woman who yeah. served in the Israeli military as I, well as. Well, the, yeah, because the thing in Israel that is probably of such a different story, right? Exactly. Because it, it was constructed for for two genders, right. whereas in other places, very and much not so. Like for ages, else. you couldn't have a woman on a submarine because it was considered too like stressful and like you know the temptation. <laughs> we can birth a child and deal with like because our husbands if you beating put us for years. Men but... Underwater for six months, then they might freak out if you put a woman on there. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, they'll do that no matter what. So. Yeah. Okay. Fine. It's, apparently, it's our fault. <laughs> um, and uh, but I would be so interested in seeing. Uh, kind of like the similarities and differences it's on set is a very hierarchical mm, place that's right such a for, good point. for a good reason because right. it, it needs to be for yes, the smooth someone running. needs to be in charge yeah and you and you need to it's like an orchestra same thing right, right. it's very much set that way for a reason same with the army but i would be interested in seeing how that works like do do men have the same thing there where if you all start at the same time and you climb faster that they get pissed? Like, what's uh, the deal? Yeah. How do you handle that? Because then you need to trust them. You need right. to know if I tell you to do life. something, you are going to do it. You're not going to give me attitude about it and then maybe do it in an hour's time. So a woman who's had like a higher place in the military. Yeah, or even if it, you know, not maybe not super high, but just a little bit. I would just be interested Ooh. to see what that deal is. This will be so fun. That's so out of my normal like people. Yeah. And then I so. thought, can I suggest that? Because yeah, it's not creative. Who I cares? It doesn't need to be creative. And then I was like, well, you have a funeral home directed, so it will be fine. God, the creativity. <laughs> I'm like, all the people who ask me creative try to find a thousand ways to say I'm sorry for your... Well, no, she says that she never says I'm sorry for your lost she always says i'm here for you oh that is a good one yeah that is a nice one that is if i recommend everyone listen to that episode yeah. not just because i want more listeners but also because uh we're all going to be around people who die yeah and some people have no experience no with death experience with death like, whatsoever cushion yourself by listening yeah. to the conversation with i think it's episode <laughs> 19 with amy cunningham because it is she gives good advice on writing a condolence letter. Yeah. She gives a lot of good advice with that. Yeah, and the I'm the sorry one is great. My my uh, my parents always tweak out when they hear someone say, oh, I'm sorry, you lost your someone. And my dad's like, I didn't lose her. She died. Losing yeah. her suggests I misplaced her. <laughs> you, you will hear my grandmother's anger. So my grandmother, uh, she was born in Colombia, but her dad's British. Um, and... So then she grew up speaking both Spanish and English. So she's like, has a lot of attention to language. She speaks mm -hmm. like six or seven languages. And so when my grandfather passed and people would say, I'm sorry for your loss. I remember her hanging up the phone and just yelling, why are they sorry? Did they kill him? And I was just like, they're just trying to be nice, mama. You're like, they just don't know anything else to say. Yeah, people, it's like when people ask little kids, well, what do you want to be when, they, when you grow up? They just don't know what else to say. What did you say when someone said, other than the 30 under 30, what did you say when people said what? It depended what on how long I had because... <laughs> What day You're like, you is this an elevator pitch or do I hear a whole presentation? Because when I was a kid, I was like, well, I well, I wanted to be a scuba diver on television, very specifically for a chunk in my life. Okay. Fine, I like it. And Niche. I really, I mean, this will tell you a lot about me, is that my, my idols as a child, in no particular order, were like Jane Goodall, Rachel Carson, Whoopi Goldberg, 
Christina Ricci. And like, I really, I couldn't even pick a favorite because I loved both Scary and Sporty Spice. Oh, I could have given a hoot about though. the other three. Very different. I don't think they're that different. They're both sort of like the like oddballs of the group. The other girls are like hot girls, like sexualized girls. And those girls are sort of just like angry girls. Angry girls. Yeah, they were probably the feminists in the group. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't Baby Spice, let's be honest. <laughs> Lord knows. Oh, they probably started out the Spice Girls with a feminist one and then ended up being yeah. like, we're going to have to get rid of She wanted to shave her armpits and they were like, this is going to fly on MTV. Sorry. Good day. <laughs> with your British crooked teeth and your hairy armpits. <laughs> your armpit bite. Witness Stop it. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was really great. Oh, it was really fun. Thank you. Happily. <laughs>